Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money-saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Time now for the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. everyone. Happy Friday Eve from Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN at 701. Brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle, Friday Eve, pretty cool. Well, uh, happy Friday Eve to you. Happy Friday Eve to you too, Randy. Thank you so much. And we're feeling good on a Friday Eve here on Carriker and Smallman. A lot of good things happening. Our Blues back in action tonight. They start a three-game Pacific time zone trip. I don't count Arizona as the West Coast. People say West Coast trip. So you don't find many coasts in Arizona, right? So no, it's more of a Pacific so. time zone trip at this time of year. So that happens tonight, eight o'clock pregame here on eight thirty pregame here on one hundred one ESPN, and the Cardinals will play the finale of a three-game series in Miami tonight, five forty, after winning last night uh, by a score of two nil. Uh, Randy, yesterday we did a segment where we each picked our most indispensable Cardinal. Mm-hmm. You selected Adam Wainwright, I right? Did, yeah. Do you remember who I picked? Do you remember? I think you might have picked Nolan Arenado. That's right. That's right. And I think he proved me right last night, right? I think he helped me rest my case, no? That was pretty indispensable, what he did. That was very impressive. A scoreless game. Miles Michaelis was fantastic, wasn't he? For the Cardinals, he... Uh, was the starting pitcher, and he delivered the Cardinals a five-inning performance of shutout ball. He allowed four hits, struck out five, and did not walk anybody. And then the Cardinals' bullpen came through, and these guys haven't had much work. They haven't had the opportunity to get very sharp, but Palante delivered a couple of scoreless innings. Uh, Genesis Cabrera came on with a scoreless inning. And then in the bottom of the eighth inning, the Cardinals got a great at-bat from Tyler O'Neill. He was in the hole. One and two came back to wheedle a walk and bring your most indispensable guy to the plate. Arenado hits it out to deep left. It's at the wall! And it is gone! A home run! Arenado with one swing puts St. Louis on top here in the ninth. A two-run homer. Fifth of the year, Soler almost brought it back in. Instead, 2-0 St. Louis. Danny Mack, another magnificent call on Bally Sports. That home run off of uh, Bender for the Anthony Bender for the Marlins. Guess what he did after the game? Guess what he went on? Oh, Randy, come on. He 
losing home run after your ace goes eight <laughs> scoreless innings? I don't blame you. A dad joke this early. <laughs> Come on, my coffee hasn't even kicked in. My brain's not ready for a dad joke this early, Randy. But you know, when Nolan Arenado came up top of the ninth, he had struck out in his first three at-bats. And this is one of the hottest guys in baseball. This was the, na- the first National League player of the week in 2022. You knew that he wasn't going to go over on the entire night. You mm-hmm. just felt like it was coming. And he admitted that he has a tough time playing in Miami and that in that moment he felt locked in and ready to go and Randy, we spoke to him a couple weeks ago about the the changes he had made to his swing in the offseason, about the work that he had put in to make himself a better version of himself, which is crazy to think about because he's already a a spectacular player. But man, has he come up clutch for the Cardinals in some big moments, both offensively and defensively early in the season. As all the Major League players tell us, there is such thing as clutch, right? And he's one of those guys. What was he looking for from Bender when he hit that home run? I'm just trying to, I don't know, I'm just trying to get a ball over the middle and hit it hard. That's it. You know, those guys are tough, man. I mean, uh, they, they pitch a great game. And like I said, it, it was tough. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is that Miles and our pitching staff pitched a great game. They kept our confidence up. They kept us in the ball game, 0-0. So we always felt like we had a fighting chance. And that's a credit to our pitching staff. Pitching staff was terrific. And Michelle, one of the things that we learned from Mark McGuire when we talked to him on opening day, is he said, Andre Pallante is real. He, he, mm-hmm. he Pallante, went to college about five minutes away from Mark McGuire's house. And Mark just is a baseball guy, obviously, goes over and watches the college games and no, no, knows Pallante. They actually had dinner the night before the home opener. That's he said, right. watch out for this guy. He's going to be pretty good. And then he comes in last night in a high-pressure situation and, and shows us what he can do. Yeah, and three strikeouts, no walks in his two innings of work. Cabrera has been aces so far for the Cardinals, even though he did allow a walk. And then Gallegos comes on for the 16-pitch save. I wonder if he'll be available for the Cardinals tonight. I I would think Gallegos would not be the closer. I'll be interested to see who the skipper goes with. Yeah, I wouldn't use him tonight, Um, and it will be interesting to see who Ali Marmol goes with tonight. But Randy, can we go back to the beginning? Can we go back to the first pitcher? How about Miles Michaelis? We talked with Adam Wainwright yesterday about how Sandy Alcantara is his favorite pitcher to watch, and he showed us why yesterday he was absolutely dealing through five. Miles Michaelis matched him pitch for pitch. Miles Michaelis was a big question mark for a lot of people entering this season, and small sample size early in the season, but he's turning that question mark into an exclamation point. First two outings, he's looked great. And Michelle, what he did in his great year when he won the 18 games in 2018 was fill up the strike zone. Last night, 86 pitches, 59 of them for strikes, only 27 balls. And that's how he's going to be effective is to work the corners, have great command, which he does again. He didn't have the best command last year coming off of the injury. And the the numbers bore it out with the five strikeouts in five innings, no walks, and four hits. And not only does he have the advantage of pitching for the Cardinals, but he also has the advantage of being able to have a front row seat to watch Nolan Arenado play every day. I mean, it's awesome. I mean, to watch to watch him and the other guys work, I mean, it gives you appreciation not just for him, but just for the game of baseball itself. He, he just really makes you appreciate um, how tough baseball can be and, and how guys can just kind of wear away at it and, and, and be so great at it. So, Michelle, after that game, the Cardinals with a 700 winning percentage, and there's only one team in Major League Baseball with a better winning percentage than the Cardinals, who at 7-3 and are 700. The Dodgers are 9-3. and They're the only two teams in Major League Baseball with a winning percentage at 700 or better. A lot of positive things coming out of this yeah. Cardinals team early. I, I would say so. I want to touch on one other baseball score from last night. In, in this, At this time of year, we usually don't, but... 
Shohei Otani. Ridiculous. <laughs> I was keeping track of that last night as well. Ridiculous. He was perfect into the sixth. He winds up throwing six one-hit innings, tied a career high with a dozen strikeouts, struck out six in a row at one point, and went two for four at the plate with a couple of RBIs. He is a joy to watch. Just like Miles Michaelis was describing how Nolan Arenado makes you realize why you love baseball, mm-hmm. Shohei Otani and what he's been doing last year and again this year it's ridiculous. It is must-see TV. It is whenever I know that he's going to be playing, we need to build our schedule around this type baseball. And again, it's early, but the Angels sneaky in first place in the AL West. I know, I know. And remember last week when we spoke to Greg Amzinger, who we're going to visit with next segment because mm-hmm. he's got a tea time, so it's a little yeah. early for Greg. Remember last week when I said, I, I really want Vlad Guerrero Jr. to win the MVP, the AL MVP. I think when we spoke to Greg, he had launched three home runs the night before, and he's like, what are you talking about? There's no way he's going to win it. If Shohei Otani even does a little bit of what he did last year, it, it's just unprecedented stuff. He's going to win it again, and Shohei Otani proving exactly why Greg made that argument. And one, no doubt. Uh, before we get to pro basketball, one stunning to me college basketball note Jay Wright, 60 years old, retiring after 21 years as the head coach at Villanova. And Michelle, the first thing I thought of was, oh, He's going to the Lakers. Same thing, same thing, Randy. I was looking for a Woj bomb, a tweet from Woj, but it doesn't seem like that's the case. <laughs> no, Woj tweeted moments after that Wright has had interest from the NBA and has no interest in joining the league, has not and does not have any interest in coaching in the NBA. Do you think that this is another product of name, image, likeness, and the transfer portal? Because it's just... Being a coach has to be such a hassle right now. It seems like it. All signs are kind of pointing to that, at least being one contributing factor to this decision. After you've done something for two decades and it's a grind like college coaching Mm -hmm. is, I imagine at some point you're just burnt out and you want to take a break or step away for a bit. But it really does seem like so many coaches are are having a hard time adjusting to this new landscape in college athletics. It's it's the wild, wild west out there. Usually when coaches get out of coaching, they talk about the difficulty of recruiting high school players. Now you have to recruit your own players. You have to try to keep them. And then if you lose them, you have to try to recruit other college players. The recruiting, and it never ended before, but now it's doubled. Absolutely. And I, I made this point, I believe, yesterday or the day before when we were talking about this. But one thing that I keep thinking about, Randy, is how these are young people who need to be molded. That's what college is all about, mm-hmm. is you're, you're going away to become an adult and to find yourself. And your teachers or whomever is an adult in your life is helping you along that path. If you're an athlete, your coach is helping you along that path and your coach oftentimes has to be hard on you. But if you're a college athlete, you're young. You've got that you can't tell me nothing mindset. So in addition to having to recruit your players, I I wonder how many coaches feel like they're handcuffed and they can't coach in the manner in which they're used to because if you're hard on a player, especially a player with a lot of talent who might have options elsewhere, they're going to say, forget it. I'm not listening to you. I'm not going to do what you say. There's no consequences for me because I can leave. Mm -hmm. That's got to be really hard for a coach. And for the kids right now, if you're listening to this show on your way to school, good luck in finding the coach that wins that isn't going to coach you hard. Exactly. They're doing it for your benefit. They're yeah. doing it to help you push through adversity. Then when the, the highly pressurized moment is there, you're going to know what to do. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a teachable hardness. Right. It's a lesson that no. they're trying to give you. One thing you can do is transfer to the NBA like our guy Jason Tatum did. Jason Tatum is one of the best players in the NBA. Tatum drives down and throws it down. Wow. And he rips. 
AFC City. What do you got in the Super Bowl tonight? Oh, the St. Louis Rams. Oh, we can't let it go. The St. Louis Rams. It's time for the Jason Tatum Minute on Carriker and Smallman. Michelle, last night, early in the fourth quarter, the Celtics were down to the Nets in game two of their playoff series, 92-85. Tatum had gone 0 for 5 in the first quarter. It was not great for the first three quarters. But then Tatum and the Celtics went on a 20-4 run. They outscored the Nets 29-17 in the fourth quarter and rolled to a 114-107 win and a two-game-to-none lead in the best-of-seven series. The Celtics in their history have played 41 series in which... Uh, it's been a seven-game series, and they've been up two games to none. They've won 40 of them. Wow. They're 40 and one when they're up 2 nothing. That's outrageous. That's yeah. a great stat, Randy. But as much as we love Jason Tatum, and he is a star, and that's what this little feature is for, is for us to highlight the greatness of Jason Tatum, you also have to point out that KD and Kyrie, the stars for the Nets, mm-hmm. not showing up. They struggled. It's the first time in 55 games as teammates, regular season and postseason, then both of them shot worse than 33% from field goal range. Durant, 4 for 17. Irving, 4 for 13. And and Kyrie, because of Ramadan, is not eating while the sun is up right now. So when the sun goes down, he goes and grabs some food. But he's probably not as, as doesn't have as much stamina as he could if he were eating. And KD is victimized by Horford and Tatum playing great defense. Yes. In addition to the fact, as you say, he's he went 0 for 10 in the second half. So that's clear, clearly he's a big part of it. But. Jason Tatum, because it's a Jason Tatum minute, yeah, right? Yeah, of course, of course. He's all over him too. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. We're off and running, and as Michelle mentioned, an early visit with Greg Amzinger this morning. He's got a tea time in about 47 minutes, so he's going to join us early on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Greg Amsinger joining us early this morning, the lead anchor from MLB Network, of course, a product of the Lindenwood University and a native of the St. Louis metro area. Greg, good morning. You're you're joining us early this morning. Usually it's at 7.30 St. Louis time on Thursday this morning. Why are you joining us 15 minutes early? Well, it's a beautiful day in Montclair, Randy, and uh, (laughs) I play golf. It's kind of in my contract that I play golf whenever it is okay to play it. The, the weather is permissible. I've got a big match today. Uh, my producer and I are playing against Dan Plesak and Cliff Floyd. Cliff Floyd picked up golf a year ago, no joke. He's already a single-digit handicap to watch. Remember how hard Cliff Floyd used to hit a baseball mm-hmm. to first base? Sean Casey said... It was the only guy that when he was at the plate, big six foot five left-handed slugger, that he was actually nervous that the ball was going to come at him. That's how hard he used to hit it. Now imagine how far he hits a pitching wedge. No joke. <laughs> Par three, 175. Slight downwind. Pitching wedge to five feet last time I played with him. Oh, a pitching wedge. It's incredible to watch him play. How about how about incredible? Three six five left-handed golfers in the same foursome. Is your producer a six five lefty? <laughs> no, he's not, and he's the worst golfer of all of us. So I, I'm going to carry him. I, I got to tell you, it is odd. There was this one buddy of mine that uh, played with us, and I didn't even think of it. He played college baseball. He's left-handed. And it was me, Dan, Cliff, and this guy, Ryan. And the caddy who was with us was like, I have been doing this job for over 40 years. I've never seen four six foot 
five left-handed golfers in one foursome. It was an amazing day. The picture was great. It was all over PleaseX's Insta. <laughs> we'll have to check that out on Instagram, Greg. Well, speaking of what a joy it is to watch him play, we've got to talk about your guy, Nolan Arenado. He's been unbelievable for the Cardinals to start the season. He was the National League Player of the Week. He's leading the team in almost every offensive category. We saw an unbelievable, even though it's kind of believable for Nolan Arenado, defensive play two games ago. He comes up last night in the top of the ninth, two-run home run to propel the Cardinals to a victory over the Marlins. Is it too early, Greg, to start the Nolan Arenado for National League MVP conversation? Not at all. I, I, I'm already all in, and you guys know this. You watch it, it will be tonight. I love on pace. I love MVP talk. I love trade deadline talk. Week two or week three of the season. Let's get into it now. Who's a buyer? Who's a seller? I love all that stuff. Nolan Arnado's special. And look, a couple things. He's letting the hair grow out. So when you look good, you play good. And I think there's a little swagger to him that he didn't have last year. Uh, number three, uh, number two, I, I really truly believe in the human element. I think it, it is alive and well. And when you idolize a player like Albert Pools, and at times he's on the on-deck circle, I know Nolan, he's still a kid just like I'm still a kid at times. You know, when I'm doing the uh, Hall of Fame election announcement and I look down, I'm hosting the show, and I look down the anchor desk, and Bob Costas is on the set, and I'm hosting, but he's sitting there. And he's not hosting the greatest host of all time in sports. I, I get nervous at the age of 42, okay? <laughs> Nolan Arenado is looking on the on-deck circle behind him, and his favorite player is staring at him. So he's bringing his game to a level that he hasn't brought it to as a Cardinal. So uh, there's a lot of good things going on. When you look at the schedule, the Cardinals have a really insane opportunity to have the best record in baseball. I know they've got the Mets coming up for three games at Bush, but you've got this one game against the Marlins, which I'm so stoked to watch Jordan Hicks get a start after the way he looked in the bullpen against Kansas City for two innings. He was amazing. Then you get the Reds, who are just a mess. Okay, so winnable game tonight. Then you got three against the Reds. You go to war with the Mets, and then you've got the Arizona Diamondbacks for four. This could be the best April into a May start to a season the Cardinals have had in a long time. Win as many of these games as possible and then see where you stand. Because I, I just think the team right now has the human element on their side, unlike any of the other teams in that division. Greg, Michelle and I were talking earlier about Shohei and the Angels, and there they are sitting. You talk about the Cardinals could have the best record in the National League, and they they have the second best record in the league right now. Well, they're third best behind the Dodgers and Mets, but the Angels have the best record in the American League, and Shohei Otani had a magical night last night. How far can this go with the Angels? It's all about their pitching. I mean, they're going to need Noah Syndergaard to actually continue to, to surprise people. His stuff's great. And then you got Reed Detmers, a left-hander who I think is great, first-round pick. The, the starting rotation, which they've expanded to a six-man rotation, uh, Lorenzen is kind of the, their sixth guy, which I was surprised they did that because he was a reliever with the Reds. But so far, he's given them innings. that The rotation's going to have to work, bottom line. And so far, they're treading water. Uh, they're not as good as the Baltimore Orioles rotation, which is odd right now. But uh, this is a team that I think has enough. If Mike Trout gets back and is healthy, uh, people are overlooking Jared Walsh, Brandon Marsh. These are good left-handed hitters. Uh, they've got the pieces in place. If Joe Adele continues to evolve, this is a guy that they, he was an untouchable prospect for a while. He's got all the tools to be a great player. But Shohei Otani drives the bus, man. People can say what they want about Mike Trout, and he's a first ballot Hall of Famer if he retired today. He is. 
But the, it's Otani's team. It's Shohei Otani's team. And 12 strikeouts in the sixth and the third, the way he pitched, it was the most dominant 80 pitches I've seen in my time at MLB Network. I know when Clayton Kershaw threw a no-hitter, he was barely over 90 pitches, and he had a bunch of strikeouts, like 13 strikeouts. That was years ago. But for 80 pitches, it was the most dominant short amount of time on a mound that I'd ever seen. So he, I'm telling you, here's another thing, just to keep in mind, you know, Corbin Burns won the uh, NL Cy Young with not even 170 innings. This sport is trending in a direction where Shohei Otani is going to have an opportunity because they are going to stick to a six-man rotation. I would be shocked if he ever saw 140 innings. Maybe he would. But the sport is coming back to him in a way where he is going to have a chance to be a realistic Cy Young Award winner and an MVP. I mean, this is, it's crazy how his stranglehold on the game from an individual perspective, how long it could last if he's healthy. He's just the most special talent we've ever seen. Greg, Otani has been dominant. That's one end of the spectrum. Let's look at the other end of the spectrum. What's going on with the $324 million man and Garrett Cole? Not great so far this season. 6.35 ERA to start the year. He was pulled after just one and two-thirds innings over the the Tigers the other night. What's going on with Garrett Cole? You know, it's funny. I I remember uh, doing a lot of homework on Garrett Cole when he came out of the draft from UCLA. He was the same team as Trevor Bauer. They didn't get along back then. They don't get along now. And his demeanor was completely different. And when you go back to his days with the Pittsburgh Pirates, his demeanor was different. I I understand Max Scherzer is the other ace with the New York Mets, and obviously he's been someone we've held in high regard for a long time. Not everyone can pitch really angry and overly intense like Max Scherzer. Not everyone can do that. In golf, they say use 80% of your athleticism, 80% swing, because you want to still be athletic. Garrett Cole's too mad right now, and I think he's trying to be something that he's not. You know, so, you know, remember when he was yelling because Billy Crystal was taking too long to throw out a first pitch at Yankee Stadium? And then the other day, his last start, him and his catcher come out onto the field while there was an injury. He was taking too long. He was frustrated again. He's just mad all the time. Mad works for some people, but it doesn't work for fake tough guys. And I think Garrett Cole is a fake tough guy. He needs to just relax, smile a little bit more, trust his stuff, because the anger mad thing, it's not fooling anybody. If he hits somebody in the middle of the back, no one's afraid to go charge the mound on Garrett Cole. Okay, He's not Nolan Ryan. He might throw as hard as Nolan Ryan did, but he's not that demeanor of a human being. So I think Garrett Cole psychologically needs to start having more fun He's putting too much pressure on himself right now, and he's trying to be someone that he's not. Let Mad Max Scherzer be mad. Garrett Cole, find that California vibe. Find that again. Talk to Wayno. Surfboard. Yeah, there you go. Yes, Adam Wainwright, a gentleman who likes to laugh in between innings. Take a nap before a game. Do that, Garrett. Try that. Take a nap. <laughs> Maybe you won't be cranky. Because Cranky Garrett isn't working right now. Hey, Greg, one more thing before we let you out so that you can get to the driving range. 20 minutes of game time shaved off minor league games with a pitch clock. What do you think? I think it's uh, amen, amen. I mean, I've, I've been wanting a pitch clock forever. The, the purists out there that are listening right now raise an eyebrow at it. You're going to love the product with a clock. Baseball and a clock do go hand in hand. I, I promise you, 10 years from now, you will not remember baseball without a pitch clock. It's going to be amazing. 
It's, it's always action. There's nonstop action on your screen. You're seeing a countdown. If there's anything I've learned through my time in television, people love countdowns. They love ranking. They, they love numbers going closer to one. This is a good thing. And you will see fans screaming when it's down to three seconds. You'll see more base runners take off because they know the ball's about to get delivered. Okay? So the timing of everything's going to move. And it's okay if baseball's not three hours. It's okay. Less is more. A TV show, you don't want a TV show to be one or two segments too long. You want people leaving going, man, that went by in a blink. You don't want it to mm-hmm. out. So I think baseball is going in the right direction. Once we get a pitch clock next year, oh, hallelujah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to swing by beautifully like my three would on the first <laughs> box, Randy. It's going to be about 230 yards right down the middle. I'm going to birdie the first hole and I'm going to thank you your face. I, uh, thank you very much. I do completely <laughs> appreciate those pure swing thoughts. Ten fairways today, Greg. Uh, oh, yeah, Randy, I'm a different man. Yonder Alonzo fixed my swing. Open me up, spread my feet. My my handicap's dropping considerably, considerably right now. So I, I'm I'm locked in. I, I'm flirting with breaking eighty, Randy. I'm going to do it today. <laughs> I'm rooting for you. Hey, thanks so much. Have a great time today, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, that was fun, guys. Take care. <laughs> See you later. The great Greg Amzinger on 101 ESPN. So, little has he hung up? He gets, uh, he gets his clubs from Plesak. Plesak, former major leaguer, gets all kinds of free clubs. So yeah, Greg sure. gets all his clubs from Plesak. Great gig. It's not bad at all, is it? I would let Dan Plesak beat me at golf all the time if yeah. I got free clubs. Yeah. Greg, Greg <laughs> says, I've never paid, paid for a club before. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> hey, if you listen to us for the next couple of hours, and we trust that you're going to, you can win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for the Cardinals and the Mets. The first Budweiser Bash game of the 2022 season features an exclusive Keith Hernandez limited edition bobblehead giveaway. So Michelle will have one of the best Cardinal first baseman ever that's being honored with a bobblehead, and he'll be in the ballpark with the Mets. And we'll have another of the greatest Cardinal first baseman of all time sitting in the dugout and another one that's on the field. That's a lot of greatness in one ballpark. It sure is. Get all the details for this season's series of Budweiser Bash Cards Games now at cardinals.com slash promotions. And just stick around because we'll have a magical question for you coming up at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour. Coming up next here on 101 ESPN, get your text in. The Air Comfort Service text line is 65780. Sick of it is coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm over it, Sharon. I can't take this no more. I am done. I am sick of it. Do you hear me? Sick of it. I can't take it anymore. These people are the worst. Character and Smallman are sick of it. about you, but I'm sick of this spring. I want like four or five consecutive sunny days to dry things out so that I can get out on the golf course. I'm with you. What is going on with this weather? It is the pits. It is. The it's absolute a, pits. It wasn't like this when I was a kid. I would guess that the climate may have changed. Ugh. I'm just saying. Maybe. But I thought it was supposed to be warmer. Well, no. They changed it from global warming to climate change. It's going to snow all the time. <sighs> All the time. Yeah. Have you ever seen the movie The Day After Tomorrow? I have not. Is that a... It sounds like a Michael Bay vehicle. Might have been. Or like a rock vehicle. But it's when... uh, I've seen yesterday. New New York gets covered in snow. 
Hmm. And nobody can move around. And that's what's going to happen is that the the rainforests are going to just be opened up and we're going to have rain all the time. And that's going to cool things down. And we're going to have snow all the time. Cool, cool. Cool, cool. I know, I want a hot, 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 hot. (laughs) Good one, Randy. Sounds awesome. (laughs) It sounds absolutely awesome. Can't wait for that. Can't wait for the future. And actually, this is, uh, I'm not a science guy. As you know, this is just what the scientists are saying. From the 636, Randy, haven't you heard April showers bring May flowers? Come on. Come on, bro. Okay. Well, I hope that's the case. I hope you're right. I'm, because I'm sick of the April showers, I'll tell you that. Can't my, wait till May. Here's my problem with those kitschy subjects. It, it wasn't March supposed to go out like a lamb. It did not go out like a lamb. The end of March sucked. I don't even remember. That was two, three weeks ago now. It was horrible. Holy cow. You know what I'm sick of, Randy? I am sick of St. Louis not having an NBA team. Yeah, it's a good thing to be sick of. I am sick of it. We're the best sports town in America. We should absolutely have an NBA franchise here in St. Louis. St. Louis Rhythm. I'm down for the rhythm. I, I love it. We've got the rhythm and the blues. Mm-hmm. It fits well. What color do you think the rhythm should be? Blue and gold. No, I no. think... Someone I, said purple, right? Purple would be good. Kind of a bluesy it. thing. Yeah, I'd be down with that too. Mardi Gras kind of a, purple, a vibe. red. Since you're stealing the team from New Orleans anyway. Yeah, why not? See, I've always been. A, I've always said, you know, when St. Louis gets the NBA team, that's when we write this incredible wrong, and we finally get the Jazz out of Utah. That way, we have the Blues and the Jazz, and that Wait, would be incredible. I'm watching the NBA playoffs. It's so fun. There's so much drama. There's so much star power awesome. out of the NBA. I was just thinking how much St. Louis would show up to support an NBA franchise, and how fun it would be to have the NBA playoffs in town. Think about who we'd see sitting courtside, John mm-hmm. Hamm, Joe Buck. We've got a lot of, Greg Amzinger, I bet, would mm-hmm. come in town. We've got a lot of star power in St. Louis that people don't even realize. The and NBA I'm sick of it. The NBA needs us, too. They need Let's us. Just say it. They don't realize it. They need yeah. us. So uh, come on, people that have big money, go get us an NBA franchise. And I know those big those big money people are listening. One of them is in Chicago. He's listening on the app. Streaming. Thank you so much. Shout Thanks, out Dr. Chaffetz. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Well, come on. Let's just get together. Let's have uh, a big meetup. Uh, we can just get everybody in a room, say, you throw in X amount of dollars, you throw X mm-hmm. amount of dollars. We'll go to the NBA. We say, we've got the funding. We've got the ownership. We've got a building you could use. Let's get this done. Let's make it happen, people. And we'll, we'll get some negative texts to that sentiment, but just look at the ratings of the NBA playoffs every year in St. Louis. They're, they, they're, they're bigger than some NBA yeah. markets. We draw well. We would do really well. I mean, oh, the, the PGA so Championship happy. came to town, and look at the crowds that mm-hmm. that drew. We can point the, the Olympic gymnastics trials. Any mm-hmm. big sporting event that comes to St. Louis, people show up. They're going to show up for their own franchise, and it's going to be new and hot and fun. People will be there. It'll be great. Tatum and Beal. Oh, they'll definitely make it happen. Mm-hmm. But I'm just, I'm sick of it. So one end of Clark Street up there is called Brett Hallway. So if Bradley comes back and he's a superstar and leads us to a championship, do we have Beale Street on the other side? Spelled differently. So yes, <laughs> drop the E like Bradley Beal. I love it. I Thank think you. that's great. Right. And someone's texting in, Nelly would be our Drake. Nelly would be there yeah. all the time. Yep. The lunatics would be there. Would be Talk awesome. about really show. upping the Memphis-St. Louis rivalry with that call out. Oh, so, no, no, we, our, our Beale Street has a championship or something along those lines. Yeah, like, oh, you could really, you could really amp it up. I love that. As an aside, if you get an opportunity, go to the uh, the Twitter and find the uh, discussion, as it were, between John ja Morant's dad and Carl Anthony Towns' dad, who apparently sit in the stands and yell at each other all night long. And they were on TNT the other night, and it was awesome. 
Love it. Yeah, it was great. All right, what do we have in the text line, my man? Sick of it, my son, with you guys, he did, he doesn't know who Greg Amsinger is, but he loves sick of it, and he had to miss the segment, now he's at school, oh. and he's sick of it. Oh, oh. yeah, because Greg came out early. But you know what the best part is? Is now your son knows who Greg Amsinger is. You're mm-hmm. welcome. And number two, when you pick him up from school, you can download our podcast on the 101 ESPN app. You can queue up this segment and play it for him. You can listen to the show at any time. And he can watch Greg pretty much every night on MLB Network. We're educating the kid before he even gets to school. That's what we're doing here. 636, I'm sick of the allergies this season, but I love the weather when it isn't rainy. It was nice. I only had to put on a light jacket. I'm, I'm good with that. 55, yeah, I, with I, this, yeah. I, I won't complain about 55. I'm with you. Yeah, allergies, though, are the pits as well. Yeah, they are. This weather's the pits, and so are the allergies. Sick of it, 312. MLB blackouts, when are they going to ban those? If they need to. That's a good idea. Yeah. That is, let's let's not keep your product from its consumers. How many corporate, uh, how many Fortune 500 corporate uh, headquarters does Louisiana have? I don't know. But zero. 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 Yeah, I don't have those figures in front of me. Yeah. Uh, somebody says on 314, pro teams need corporate sponsorships. Sadly, we don't have enough big companies that can sponsor baseball, hockey, soccer, and another sport. Nine. Nine Fortune 500 companies, plus the largest one of the one of the five or ten largest privately held companies in America. And um, I don't think that the Rams had a problem with corporate sponsorships. I think they had a greed problem with their owner. Yeah, and their desire to get corporate sponsorships. After New York, the la- second largest. So you've got New York number one, St. Louis number two, as the second largest financial services region in the entire country. More than Charlotte, more than Atlanta, more than Dallas, more than Houston, more than Phoenix. We have a higher concentration of financial services with the uh, Edward Joneses of the world, with the Wells Fargo's of the world, with the Stiefels of the world. Uh, We have a higher concentration than any other city in America except for New York. There's a lot of money in financial services. And if you're willing to use those, you can support a franchise. And that's one of the problems that the Rams had is that they deemed that they wanted Edward Jones to be exclusive because they had the naming rights for the stadium. And they wouldn't pursue any of the other naming uh, sponsorship opportunities with the other companies. Seems like a mistake. Yeah. And especially when you look at the Cardinals, take a look at your Cardinals outfield wall at some point and look at all the financial services companies that are out there. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. Coming up next, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line for Take It or Leave It with Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Matthew Rocchio is here and we want your text 65780 for Take It or Leave It. Michelle, as most people saw already, Joel Embiid of Philadelphia hit a game-winning three-pointer with 0.8 seconds left in overtime to give Philadelphia a 3-0 series lead in their series with Toronto 
at Toronto last night. That wasn't the story, though. The story is that Drake in Toronto walked off the floor smiling with Joel Embiid. Take it or leave it. If you are a Toronto fan, you disown Drake this morning. I'm going to leave that because as you hear the audio, Joel Embiid was saying, oh, I'm going to sweep you. I'm coming for Mm -hmm. the sweep. He was trash talking him and Drake was kind of laughing about it. Um, because he really had nothing to say at that point. What are you going to say back to Embiid after he just hit you with the dagger? So I think if you if you hear the audio and you and you see Drake's reaction, I'm not going to disown him because what is he going to do in that moment? He really has no other reaction other than to kind of laugh it off because I wonder why your ego's he was, bruised. Yeah, I wonder why he was walking with Embiid to the Philadelphia locker room. Well, the way that I saw it on the video, he was he was on the the floor, obviously, because that's what Drake does. And Embiid was walking out, and I think Drake kind of was trying to be cool guy and like jab at him a little bit. Okay. But Embiid, I think, just dunked all over him. Yeah, he did big time. Yeah, and then I, I don't know. Listen, I'm not going to make excuses for Drake because even though he's a guy from the six, we know that he likes to jump from team to team. Yes, he does. He he has 17 favorite teams, so. <laughs> I'm not, even though he is a Toronto guy and we know how much he loves Toronto, I'm not going to defend him here. But I will say, I think in that moment when the cameras are rolling and your team's lost the game and the star of that team who mm-hmm. just put the dagger on you is trash talking you, you, you kind of black out and you don't really know what you're doing. You're like, <laughs> yeah, okay, let me just excuse myself and walk with you through the tunnel. I don't really know what to do here. You know what? Are, what are you going to do, Will Smith? Him? No well, way. As we as we know in Drake's uh, you know real career, he doesn't really handle the, uh, the the you know the the trash talk very well when people come after him. So you know, it's, it's kind of it's kind of within his game. You, you trash talk Drake, you come after him with a diss tape of sorts. He doesn't react very well to them. You know what he's doing, guys? He's laughing now. He's crying later. Oh. There you go. Yeah, good. It's probably God's plan. <laughs> you know what? And B came with that knife talk. He really did. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You know what? These aren't dad jokes, but they're a special something. It's a fair trade. I'll just say that. I'll just say that. So, Brandy, Matt, you guys might have heard about this story, but just in case you haven't, have you heard about the Zamboni driver from the Detroit Red Wings that's oh. getting sued? Okay, I'm, I, I just got a headline. Please regale me. Okay, all right. So I know how Randy has a special affinity for the Detroit Red Wings, so mm, I thought he yeah. might enjoy this story. So 68-year-old Al Saboka was a Zamboni driver for the Detroit Red Wings, and he was fired after another male employee found him urinating into a drain at Little Caesars arena. So he's saying that when this incident happened on February 2nd, he was urinating between two Zambonis in the garage. Only males have access to this area and another employee spotted him. So it's not like he was exposing himself. And he's claiming that he's been diagnosed with, and I hope I get this right, benign prostatic hypertrophy, which causes frequent urination. And he was working on the Zambonis and he felt the need to go. And the nearest facility was 60 to 70 feet away. So he just went into one of the drains that connects, that collects the Zambonis ice runoff. <laughs> now he's being sued and it's this whole legal drama that's going down. He lost his job because of this. Take it or leave it. He shouldn't get sued because Little Caesars Arena is a big toilet. I'll take that. (laughs) Take that. Now, I don't feel that way, Randy, but that was on a tee for you because I know how much you hate the Red Wings. If I were in that same situation and I got fired, I'd really be pissed off. (laughs) Good one. I can't believe I missed the obvious joke there. I was going for the toilet joke, but I like the, the, the pissed off hey, was right as, there. As Brett Hull calls the city, 
the toilet. Come on. <laughs> Come on. This is just another part of it, right? And he's saying I have this this issue. I've been diagnosed with it. <laughs> I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't hold it. <laughs> Love it. From the 314, take it or leave it. Dylan Carlson needs to hit second in the lineup. I'm going to leave that. They're, they might need another leadoff hitter, but Goldie is fine right now, even though he hasn't really produced like he's going to produce, like we all know he's going to produce. I really like the top of their lineup, Goldie and O'Neal and Arenado. Yeah, if the question is there should be a new leadoff hitter, I'll take it, but I don't want to remove Goldie from that spot, especially now that the weather's going to get warm mm-hmm. and we know Goldie heats up with the weather, so I would keep him in the two-hole, but I wonder if the Cardinals are considering making a move. Carlson in the six hole and Edmund leading there. off would not bother me in the least. Yeah. And Edmund uh, Edmund let off last night. Okay, before I read 314's take it or leave it, I want to tell everybody that uh, Randy's uh, ridiculousness with the na- the nicknames has continued uh, even off the air. It did last into yesterday's Cardinal game, so I'll ask this question. 314, take it or leave it. We still need a nickname for Robert Thomas. I'm going with Matchbox. Well, first of all, you're referring to Nick Whitgren. Warming up in the Cardinal bullpen, Nidub. No, no, I'm referring to Absolutely not. It's not happening. Absolutely not. No. You people. Randy, step away from the microphone. (laughs) Take five seconds. Take a deep breath. Matchbox isn't the answer either, by the way. It's too It's too long. I get it, Robert Thomas. He's a spark for the team. I get all of the the plays on words with Matchbox. It has to be quick. I like smooth better, actually. But Smooth this doesn't seem like a good nickname to me. Tomer feels like a better nickname, which is his actual nickname than Smooth. I know we're really trying here. We're reaching for something mm-hmm. because he's been playing so dynamic. He, he's out of his mind right now, so we want to give him a great nickname. But you can't force it. Matchbox is not it. Smooth is not it. Bob, what, what do we call him? Bobby what, Tommy? That's not it either. I don't know why smooth isn't it, but okay. Uh, it doesn't sound like a good nickname. Smooth? <laughs> smooth is a great... It's It's got an old school basketball nickname feel, like mm-hmm. like the answer or the truth. The Iceman. It's got kind of that feel to it. Come on now. That's the best kind of nickname. 314. I'm biased. 314. T- take it or leave it. Tarasenko gets 12 or more points in the final five games of the season to hit 90 points on the year. Leave it. 12 is too high? Yeah, lot. in five games. Yeah, it's too high. So he might get five. I mean, that's two points Maybe. per game and a couple three-pointers in there. Yeah. That's that's rough. And he's getting ready for the playoffs. If they have some blowouts during this three-game trek, and they could, I would drop his ice time, that line's ice time, and try to preserve them. And everyone should relax. Yes, they should. If that happens. Just I- relax, right? I mean... They're preserving themselves for the playoffs, but I don't even think that's going to happen, Randy. But if it does, deep breaths, relax. Uh, you, you don't think that the twelve and five is going to happen, or what? Do you, what? That we're going to blow him out three times, or that he's going to get? Hmm? What? What are? What's not going to happen? That well, we're going to get the blowouts? Well, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think that the Blues are going to get blown out down the stretch. Oh, no, I don't either. R e l a x. Relax. We're going to be okay. From the 314, take it or leave it. Uh, we need to know who leaked that Zamboni story. Take it. Big time. <laughs> Great one. That. Well done. <laughs> do we have to do do we have to do the phrase of the day? I want to give that person tickets. <laughs> That's such a good one. That is good. <laughs> take it oh, take it or leave it. Randy's walk-up song at the Zurich Classic would be Let's Go by Trick Daddy. Mm, I'll take that. A little like, Trick yeah, Daddy for how about that? Randy MC. It's not a bad thought. Randy, what are your thoughts on Trick Daddy? 
I don't know anybody that doesn't like Trick Daddy. Do you? Uh, Trick a lot of the kids, okay? Uh Uh-huh. So who doesn't love Trick Daddy? Trick Daddy rocks. (laughs) Trick a lot of the kids. 636, take it or leave it. Should I take the Blues and Cardinals both to win the championship? I can get it at plus 52,000. Yes. Yes. What do you? Where? Yeah. Stop. Let stop me know. questioning that. Go yeah. ahead and do it. Just go for it. Yeah. Because it's going to happen, right? Yeah. I mean, the Blues are winning the Stanley Cup, and the way the St. Louis Cardinals are playing. Yeah. Plus fifty-two thousand is a good call. Do it. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. Coming up, rules changes are coming to baseball. Why and are they good? That's next on One Hundred and One ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on One Hundred and One ESPN. Perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnucks Rewards. It pays to shop at Schnucks. Download the Schnucks Rewards app today. I, I like to start the process by asking everyone to just think uh, for themselves what, if, if you could design the game from scratch, like in your own mind, the, what is the very best version of baseball? What's the most enjoyable version of baseball? the most uh, entertaining version of baseball, the, 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 the version that brings you the most joy and that will bring other people the most joy. And what does it look like? And that should be what we're shooting for. We should be shooting for the absolute very best version of the game. 803 in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. That was Theo Epstein of Major League Baseball on Jason Stark's Starkville podcast and rules changes, Michelle, are coming. We're going to have a pitch clock next year. We're going to have shift limitations. We will have second base moved to where it should be to facilitate more and better base running. But there's a lot of people, and I get it, that don't want to mess with the game. And one of the things that Theo Epstein told Jason Stark was, we aren't really messing with the game. We're trying to bring it back to what you fell in love with. The reality is, for for baseball fans of, of a certain age, um, the game's a lot different than it was when when we fell in love with it. So some some just to that to some extent, change means restoring the great things about the game that we fell in love with in the first place. And and you know you can the easiest example, but there are many is is just action. You know that the 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 game for, for, for those are we're all about the same age more or less. When when we were growing up, the ball was in play a lot more. You know the strike the strikeout rate was under control. It was you know twenty percent or even under twenty percent, and that, that meant the ball was put in play. You had fielders in motion. You had uncertain outcomes. You had athleticism on display in the field and on the on the bases. You had balls in the gap. Is you know is is the center fielder going to get there and make a dive in play, or is that getting in the gap? Okay, it got down. Now is is it going to be a double or is it going to be a triple? There's action. There's 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 drama on on a, on a really regular basis. And with with the rise in strikeout rate, action is just a lot harder to come by. And the rise of the three true outcomes. So now. You know, just about a quarter of all plate appearances end in strikeout. You know, walk walk rate's been pretty constant, but that's another ten percent plus of of plate appearances where the ball's never in play. And then, obviously, the home run rate has has, has been increasing. So, you know, such a great percentage of, of plate appearances end without the ball being ever put in play. That that the part of the one of the elements that we fell in love with, which is which is you know the the beauty and the artistry of 
baseball when the ball's in play and seeing fielders in motion, seeing you know the base base runners on the base pass. That's just a much smaller percentage of the game. So when we grew up, the ball ball was, you know, you could watch a game and and you'd see a ball in play every couple minutes. And now now a fan has to sit there for well over four minutes just to see a ball put in play. So, you know, look when when I hear people say like, and when you get you know. comments on your articles don't change the game leave it exactly the same i think that i i totally get where that's coming from there are elements of the game i don't ever want to touch or or, i get uneasy when people start talking about changing it but i think i fall into that trap and, and maybe 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 many of us do we're focused on the change itself we're focused on the rule itself when we we should really be focusing on what is this going to mean for the action on the field so There's a lot to unpack there and a lot of really good thoughts from Theo Epstein. But first and foremost, I think the people who are clamoring don't change the game, don't change the game. A lot of people are just averse to change, period. And they love the product and they're they're traditionalists and they feel a certain type of way about baseball. But if these rule changes do, in fact, infuse more action, more athleticism and more drama into the game, who's going to be averse to that? Who's going to be against having a more exciting game to watch, a faster game to watch? I think a lot of the things that Theo's talking about are going to bring a certain pace and rhythm to the game. That's the key. That I think a lot of people... In their minds, they might think, I don't want you to mess with the sport that I love. But then once they actually experience it, I think they're going to find it an an enjoyable experience. And we've talked a lot about baseball and how baseball needs to do something to infuse more action into the game. You need to get the ball in play more. You need to quicken things up. We're in a society now where we don't wait for anything. What do we do all day? We scroll on our phones. If, If we don't see something within three seconds of scrolling, we're out. What makes people who don't want rule changes in baseball to think that that this next generation of kids that we're trying to get involved and love baseball is really going to sit through a game or find it entertaining. You need to make these changes so that baseball can be a viable product moving forward. And it will athleticize, if that's a word, the sport a little bit. And Michelle, back in the 50s, basketball instituted their 24-second shot clock, and fans were averse to that. They didn't like the idea. So Theo Epstein was asked, what will the impact of a pitch clock of 14 seconds with no runners on and 19 seconds with runners aboard, what will the impact be? The things that a pitch timer seems to create in baseball are things that we are pretty convinced fans will enjoy, and fans who've experienced this version of the pitch timer in the minor leagues have told us that they really enjoy and players enjoy them too. And and those things are, um, you know, faster pace with a lot less dead time, you know, game times that are 20 to 30 minutes shorter without sacrificing offense. It's just, you can go have a great time at the ballpark for two hours and 40 minutes and then go home at a reasonable hour (laughs) instead of three hours and 10 minutes on average. And then importantly, it's not just the pace and not just, shorter games, but a pitch timer also just creates a little bit better rhythm and a little bit better action. You know, with so with the pitch timer, strike strikeout rates have gone down. That means the ball's in play a lot more. With the pitch timer, walk rates have actually gone down. So pitchers just get in a better rhythm and, and throw more strikes. And Michelle, the the big key for baseball and this is just the way they're looking at it because it's a TV product, is that minor league games with the pitch clock have been shaved by 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And Henry Davis, you talk about the rhythm of the game. Henry Davis, number one overall pick of the Pirates in 2021, 
was quoted as saying, outside of playing in the College World Series or unique games, this, with the pitch clock, has been the most fun I've ever had playing. Keyword being fun. Right. And it's probably fun to watch as well. And this was based on, as you mentioned, that California League trial. But when Theo talks about the effects that you're seeing from this trial, strikeout rates going down, walk rates going down, pitchers getting into a better rhythm, the ball being in play more. That's a better product. Isn't that what we all want is to see less walks, see less strikeouts and see the ball be put into play more? This seems like a very easy solution to get all of those things accomplished. Now, one of the other rules, let me give you a couple. Number one, second base is actually in the middle of the diamond. If you look at the diamond, both First base and third base are fully in fair territory. But if you drew lines, second base would be halfway outside of fair territory and halfway in. Baseball is going to move second base so it would be within the lines, like third and first are. They're also going to expand the base. Baseball interviewed all 30 major league managers to ask how big the bags were, and none of them knew. Hmm. They're 15 by 15 inches. They're going to expand them to 18 by 18 adding a half an inch to each side. So there is going to be, with second base being moved in within the foul lines and the expanded bag, nine and a half inches of space less to traverse for base runners to try to steal a base. That can be a huge impact for base running. And when he started talking at the outset here, I thought, well, what I like is is whitey ball. Mm-hmm. And what Theo Epstein wants to b- bring back is more stolen bases, more base running, more chance taking, and more athleticism. And one of the things that we don't think about when we, because we think about Matt Carpenter, right, when we think about the shift, but he's got something that we really don't think about. I will say there's one, one argument that I think doesn't get enough attention in favor of... Um, shift restrictions and that is what it does for the infielders themselves like we talk all the time about what it means for hitters what it means for certain types of hitters the incentives we're going to create are we are we making life too easy for the pull hitters and um you know or or we're talking sort of theoretically shouldn't it shouldn't the, the defense have the ability to position themselves wherever they want and those are the types of arguments you get on both sides but very rarely do we talk about the fact that what we saw last year you know, the shift restriction is great if you love uh, athletic, dramatic infield defense. You know, the, the best infielders in the world having room to roam instead of being bunched up and making and having to make do or die plays at the end of their range. Because that's something that in, in, a, in a shift heavy league, you just don't see as much of as you used to. Because now you've got three infielders bunched together on, on the right side of the field. They're perfectly positioned. And, and hard hit balls, how often do you see end up, you know, going going right to a third baseman who's now playing second base in short right field. And 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 you don't have to have the premium on, on range and athleticism with your second baseman as you, as you had in the past. Now it's becoming more of a bat first position. Well, when you have uh, shift restrictions and you have to have two fielders on either side of second base, now all of a sudden the fielders are spread out. Second base becomes an extremely important defensive position and and you know range is at a premium athleticism is at a premium the ability to make plays at the end of your range where you're diving or sliding and you know sliding backhand play and pop up or leave your feet and make that that dive and play in the hole that that becomes extremely important 
these are some of the best athletes in the world. Why wouldn't we highlight their athleticism or put them in a position to showcase that athleticism? And I also love the point that you made, Randy, about interviewing every manager in baseball and and them not knowing the size of, mm-hmm. of second base or the size of the bag, right? Because I think a lot of people are kicking and screaming to change, but when it comes down to it, it's things they don't even really notice or they don't even really care about. And if you can introduce more risk-taking into baseball, that increases the drama, the payoff is better. That's what we love about sports is when a team does something, they're aggressive and they take a risk and then there's a payoff. That means drama and that is entertainment. And that's what we're looking for with these rule changes is getting more entertainment into the game of baseball. It brings people like Roberto Alomar, brings people like Ozzie Smith back into the game and makes them important. I I like every single change. And I I was telling Jason Stark, and he's going to join us next Wednesday. I like every change that they have come up with. I don't see any problems. And by the way, one of them that, that they aren't haven't tested yet, but they're thinking about, is limiting the depth at which outfielders can play. So, so outfielders have to play more like Jim Edmonds mm-hmm. did. And it, it enhances the necessity for athleticism on the part of your outfielders as well, so that you can't play just a, a no doubles, no triple, uh, triples defense all the time. I also love it in reading the piece at The Athletic and listening to the podcast, listening to Theo's comments. You can tell there's so much intentionality behind this, that Theo and the people that are are crafting these changes have thought a lot about how it's going to impact every component of the game, every position, and they're really trying to curate things that are going to be effective. They're not just trying to make change for change's sake. They're trying to really think about these things, do trials to see how they play out, and then introduce them at the major league level so that when they're introduced, they'll be effective. And most importantly, interviewing fans. Yes, of course. That's That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that is today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Next Next up, the Blues in action tonight in San Jose. John Kelly, the TV voice of the Blues, joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Blues booth. Boardwalk Hardwood Floors has great floors for every home with locations in West County, South County, St. Charles County, and our new location in Mid-County. And online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. The Blues open a three-game trek to the Pacific time zone starting tonight in San Jose against the Sharks. Michelle and Randy, and we go to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. John Kelly, the TV voice of the Blues on Bally Sports, kind enough to join us as he does every Thursday morning. Good morning, J.K. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Randy? Everything's great. And these are, because they're against lesser teams, and the Blues have dominated lesser teams the last couple of times they've played them, last three times, but with the way Minnesota's going, if the Blues want to have home ice, these are three really important games in, in that time zone, aren't they? Well, they're all important. I mean, that's really, you know, as far as the regular season is concerned, uh, the only drama left, if you want to call it that, is will the Blues have home ice or not against the Minnesota Wild? It's all but a foregone conclusion. They're going to play the Wild. So, yeah, the Blues have to keep on going. And uh, Minnesota, meanwhile, has a tough game tonight at home against Vancouver, a club that's um, really streaking right now. They're trying to, to make a miracle run to get into the playoffs. So so maybe the Blues can get some help tonight from the Vancouver Canucks. But meanwhile, as you said, you know, the Blues are playing these teams that don't have much to play for. San Jose's coming off a win against Columbus a couple of nights ago. 
Um, these games at times cannot be taken lightly, Randy, and, and the Blues know that from, from certain games this year where they have taken it lightly, and, and you don't want to have that happen this late in the season. John, another solid performance from Jordan Bennington in that game versus Nashville and that 8-3 to win over Nashville. That's three wins in a row for Jordan Bennington. Where's your confidence level in number 50 right now? You know, I'm not surprised, uh, Michelle. I think that we all knew that at some point that he would, you know, get going in the right direction. And I think he's playing a more aggressive game and a more confident game. And he looks like the old Jordan Bennington. So, to me, it was only a matter of time, and it's it's great to see it. And now the Blues um, are confident, again, that they have two goaltenders that, that they feel can do the job. And obviously, Billy Huso continues to roll along. I know that they lost their last game in overtime, but, uh, you know, Billy played well and was solid again. So um, I think it's great to see, and I'm not surprised at all, quite honestly. J.K., the Blues got Nick Letty for a variety of reasons. They wanted a, a veteran presence on that defense. They wanted a guy that didn't turn the puck over. They wanted just a, a steady performer. When you see the Blues with Nick Letty, what do you think the biggest thing that he brings to them is? You know, I just think poise, Randy. He's just so confident with the puck, and he acts like he's played in, you know, 800 games and 120 playoff games, whatever the numbers might be. Um, That's what you get when you get a veteran like Nick Letty, a former Stanley Cup winner, as we know, with Chicago. So I think they got exactly what they they bargained for and wanted, and it's it's great to see. And he fits into this defense very well because it's it's a really good puck-moving defense. And, and, you know, it's, it's different than the defense they had last year and the one they had in the cup year in 19. Um, so, you know, I guess in a way it's good that he fits in with this group because, you know, the likes of Krug and Falk and Krako, um, they can really move the puck well. And he's a great puck mover and a great skater and probably a little better defender, Randy, than I thought. Um, you know, not seeing him on a night nightly basis, but – He's done a really solid job defending in his own zone as well, as far as you know, not just moving the puck and skating. He's been a good defensive player as well. John, I was reading a piece from Jeremy Rutherford about this offense that the Blues have, and he posed the question, is this the best offense in Blues history? And a lot of Blues alumni weighed in saying that top to bottom, they agree that it is. When you look at the depth of this offense and how many guys on this team are dangerous when it comes to scoring, where do you rank this Blues offense? Or, or how impressive is this Blues offense to you? Well, number one, it's very impressive, Michelle. Um, they had scored four goals or more in, what, 12 in a row until the other night. I, I think that when you start comparing, you know, this offense with, say, the 80-81 team that had 10, 20-goal scores, you could say, well, that one's better because they have more 20-goal scores. Now, I know this season isn't over yet, but it's a different era, and it was much more wide open in, in the 80s and early 80s than it is now. So I think this is the best offense in Blues history just because it's tougher to score now and, and teams are much better defensively and the goaltending is much better than it was. So, you know, not to take away from, from those teams, they were great teams and, you know, the Brett Hall led teams in the nineties were great teams when Brett was racking up, you know, 70, 80 goals. But I, I think this team considering the era, the salary cap era and in really the defensive minded era, if you want to call it that, 
I, I think this is the best offensive team. John, as we get further away from 2019, I appreciate that Stanley Cup championship even more. It's interesting that aside from the expansion Kraken, San Jose has the worst record, fewest points in the West with 72. The Blues played them twice in the conference finals. They had a, a long, wide window, but never won a cup. You look at the the Anaheim Ducks who knocked on the door for a long time, Vegas going to the finals in their first year. Man, when you get those opportunities and it takes luck, it sure is crushing if you don't win them. And you have to really savor when you do win a Stanley Cup. Well, you, yeah, you're right, Randy, uh, 100%. You know, the, the Ducks, by the way, did win a cup, as you know, back in 07. Right. But, you know, the, those other teams like, you know, San Jose, they've had some great teams in the last 20 years. I mean, really good teams. And as you said, they lost in 16 after beating the Blues. Um, I, I was looking at some numbers earlier um, today. The Sharks only have five players left, Randy, in their lineup tonight that played in game six in 2019 wow. against the Blues. So, you know, that was only, what, three years ago, right? So it, it, things have really changed. Their general manager has stepped down. They've changed coaches. And, uh, you know, now I don't know if they're in a rebuild, but probably will be in a rebuild. Um, in the next coming year, in you know, coming years. So it's tough. You're right. I mean, that's why it was so, so awesome for the Blues to finally get back to the final for the first time in 49 years, and then to win it for the first time was, was magical. But, you know, you look at this year's playoff, Randy, let's just say the Blues beat Minnesota in the first round. Then they're going to probably have to beat Colorado more than likely. Then you go to the third round, you're going to face a good team, maybe Calgary. And then, oh, by the way, you got to, win your fourth round series to win the cup <laughs> i mean it's a it's a really daunting task and you could say the same thing quite honestly for all the teams it's, mm-hmm. the, the winner of this cup this year might, might have to go through the toughest road ever there's just so much parity right now in the league on in both the west and the eastern conference john we know how good doug armstrong is at his job but when you just outlined what the state of some other franchises are since the blues won the stanley cup in 2019 it just makes me appreciate the fact that doug armstrong was not only able to keep the window open for the blues to win that but he's able to construct a team of this caliber yeah a, a team that's a, a stanley cup contender right michelle yes. i think we'd all agree with that yeah, I think that's probably, you know, the biggest challenge for general managers in today's game is to try to win now but also have an eye out for the future um, because it's so hard with the salary cap because obviously when, when you win and you have good players, they want to get paid, right? <laughs> we know that, and they should get paid. And then it's a challenge to balance the salary cap and, and, and get the good players and the, the depth and things like that. So. You know, that's the biggest strength, I think, of, of Doug Armstrong is that he, he's doing that and doing a great job. You know, he's never had a player that he's had to buy out on a contract, which is quite amazing. So, yeah, he, he's, he is, if not the best, he's one of the very best GMs in the NHL. And uh, I think if you look at the Blues, you know, this year, obviously, they have a chance to win. But with all the good young players they have, this is going to be a good team for a while. And, you know, Blues fans got to love that. And, and, and as broadcasters, you love that because... Um, it, it's really fun to see, and, and they should be good for a while. J.K., always good to hear your voice. Thanks so much. We'll be tuned in tonight for the Blues and San Jose on Bally Sports. Okay, thanks for having me. See you later. That is the voice of your St. Louis Blues on Bally Sports Midwest, John Kelly. He does have the Blues and the Sharks tonight, and that game starts at 9.30 St. Louis time. I can't wait for the playoffs. Playoffs are going to be great. It's going to be great again. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. The fight is next on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. It is 8.34 in St. Louis. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And you know the 8.30 segment every day. It's the fight. Whenever I meet people, Matt, that listen to this show, the first thing they ask me about is Randy Carricker, also known as Megamind, and his skills in the fight. Do you know a lot of people think he cheats? They're like, there's no way that Randy has that much sports knowledge stored it's, up in that cranium. I'm like, you guys, you hear him talk it through every day. Yeah, that's when I get scared. It's when he talks it through and I'm just standing here like, oh my lord, how, how does he still have this? Especially because, as we saw yesterday, you know, even if you're a diehard sports fan and you think you have these things in your head, I thought I had that Keyshawn Johnson thing in my head correct for 20 years. Just completely ignorant of Irving Fryer being the first overall pick in the, in the mid '80s, and but Randy, for years he's had those stats, but they're all correct. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He just knows his stuff, uh, but he didn't know enough yesterday <laughs> because he lost. He wasn't pleased. You know, he eats those garlic almonds every day. I think that he had a salty bag because there was some salt coming from old Randy Carricker yesterday. Uh, because AJ beat him three to two, so AJ is back to defend his title. Good morning, AJ. How are you? Hey, good morning, Michelle. I'm doing good. How are you today? I'm doing well. Uh, are you riding high on your victory over Megamind yesterday? I sure am. <laughs> I love it. So are you coming into today's fight with some added confidence? Yeah, I would say so. Okay, so listen to this, AJ. Matt's a good producer, so he is diving into the numbers, and he pulled out some great stats. So if you win today, that means tomorrow you have a chance at the Hall of Fame. And there's... Gosh, I mean, one, two Hall of Famers in fight history. I mean, there's hardly any. So this is a rarity if you're able to achieve this. But you want to win anyway. But Matt, tell AJ what Randy's stats are on Fridays. It's shocking. He's not doing so well here. In the month of April, Randy is 0-3 on Fridays. 0-3 on Fridays in the month of April, AJ. So if you win today and you have a chance at the Hall of Fame tomorrow, it's almost a slam dunk. Well, I like the sound of that. <laughs> That's right. So let's hope you get the win today. Okay, good luck. Thank you. Are you ready to go? Yes, I am. Okay. For AJ, fight number two. Question number one. Yesterday, we talked about about the Blues leading scorers in April with three different Blues scoring 20 points in one month. This is only the second time in franchise history following Brett Hall, Brendan Shanahan, and Craig Janney doing it in which season? Was it 91-92? 9293 or 9394? Ooh. Let's say 9394. Which pitcher has the most 300 strikeout seasons in American League or National League history? Is it Cy Young, Bob Gibson, or Nolan Ryan? Hmm. Just say Nolan Ryan. AJ, back in the 2001 draft, the Falcons traded up with the Chargers to take Michael Vick number one overall. What future Hall of Famer did the Chargers end up drafting at number five overall? Was it Phillip Rivers, Drew Brees, or LaDainian Tomlinson? Ooh. LaDainian Tomlinson. 
And on this day in 1996, the Bulls set a new regular season wins record with their 72nd win, breaking the previously held record of 69 wins set by which team? Was that the Boston Celtics, the Los Angeles Lakers, or the Detroit Pistons? We'll go with the Lakers. Cool, AJ. Good work, bud. That's all I can say. Confirming the score. Waving Randy in. Now, Matt, you said the Detroit Pistons. I said the Detroit Pistons. Is that how yes. you say it? Detroit? Yeah, I don't say Detroit. I like to say Detroit Pistons. It's only because, it's mainly because if you ever listen to a Pistons game, they play that sounder, um, and, and it's Detroit mm-hmm, basketball. Mm-hmm. So instead of saying Detroit, I say Detroit. Randy, how do you say it? Detroit or Detroit? Detroit. That's how I say it, too. I think it's just with the Pistons, too. I think it's just because of that yeah. sounder in my Detroit head. I say, I say it's the, yeah, it's the Detroit Lions, but it's the Detroit Pistons. It's not the Detroit Red Wings? No, it's the Detroit Red Wings. Interesting, interesting. Randy, say good morning to AJ. You remember when he beat you 3-2 to two yesterday. AJ, great to have you with us. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, Randy. How are you doing? Outstanding. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Outstanding, huh? Really? Yeah. Outstanding on a Friday Eve. How about that? Yeah, getting ready for Friday. It's going to be... <laughs> I paused because I thought you were going to sing. <laughs> People don't realize, Randy, that you have the voice of an angel. It's kind oh, of Fergie thanks, and Michelle. Jesus combined. <laughs> um, versus. Versus. Or, or Jergy. Oh, that joke, that joke has been out there in the zeitgeist for 12 years, and you, you're the first one to do that. You know what's amazing? Versus and Jergy, both, both great. Yeah, they both, both great. They're both, they both, they both work. I kind of like jerky. <laughs> <laughs> Coming See, up next on the Hot 100 charts, it's this hit from jerky. I love that. Casey Kasem. Isn't it Casey Kasem? Yeah, Casey's Kasem. Coast to Coast. Yeah. Um, now, that is a nickname we could get on board with. Okay. Jergy. <laughs> Wait, so is there anybody on the. Well, you know what? Jack Harlow sampled Fergie in his new song, oh, Jack, Jack and Fergie, Fergie. Jerky. Oh. There you go. I think he's the first to what sample Fergie. Oh, Randy. What? Did I just say that out loud? Randy yesterday, we, <laughs> Randy, yesterday we talked about the Blues leading scorers in April with three yeah. different Blues scoring 20 points in one month. You loved that question yesterday. <laughs> this is only the second time in franchise history following Brett Hall, Brendan Shanahan, and Craig Janney doing it in which season? Hall, Shanahan, and Janney. I'm going to say that that was probably the 93-94 campaign. Which pitcher has the most 300 strikeout seasons in AL or NL history? So it's got to be or combined. One, no, it's com- oh, or combined. Okay. AL slash NL history, I should say. Most well, 300 strikeout yeah, seasons. I think that's Nolan Ryan. Randy, back in the 2001 draft, the Falcons traded up with the Chargers to take Michael Vick number one overall. Mm-hmm. What future Hall of Famer did the Chargers end up drafting at number five overall? Next, they got two Hall of Famers, right, out of that draft because they took LaDainian at number five and they wound up taking Drew Brees with the first pick in the second round. That wasn't a product of the trade. They also got Tim Dwight in that trade. Not great. (laughs) Pulling out random Chargers draft history. On this day in 1996, the Bulls set a new regular season record, regular season wins record with their 72nd win, Mm -hmm. breaking the previous held record of 69 wins set by which franchise? Okay, uh, it was a Kareem team. I know this. So I am going to say that this was, I think it might have 
been the Bucks team that Kareem was on that won like 25 in a row? With the Lakers or the Bucks? I'm going to I'm going to go with the Bucks team. Ooh, what a fight today. What a fight today. Yesterday the score was 3 to 2. Today the score is also 3 to 2. Did AJ win his second fight in a row priming him for a chance at the Hall of Fame tomorrow? Or did Randy stop him? And is he going to gloat with all the Sounders? My heart was beating out of my chest. I got to tell you. Came down to the final question. Matt, ring the bell. The winner and still champion of the fight. Average Joe Listener. Brought to you by High and Dry Foundation Repair. Home of the non-commissioned based sales force and hassle-free warranty. AJ, two in a row, three to two. You beat him again. Congratulations. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Let's reveal the answers. So yesterday, we talked about the Blues leading scores in April. Three different Blues scoring 20 points in one month. Only the second time in Blues franchise history this has happened. Hull, Shanahan, and Janney did it in 92-93. Okay. Very close, Randy. Great question. The pitcher that has the most 300 strikeout seasons is Nolan Ryan with six. Yep. Nolan Ryan with six. Randy knew this one. Back in the 2001 draft, the Falcons traded up with the Chargers to take Michael Vick number one overall. The Chargers ended up drafting future Hall of Famer LaDainian Tomlinson at number five overall. Uh, AJ also getting that one correct. And it all came down to question number four. On this day in 96, the Bulls set a regular season win, wins record with their 72nd win, breaking the previously held record of 69 wins that was set by the Los Angeles Lakers, well, Lakers. in 71-72. You yep. knew it. It was a coin flip. It was, in fact, the Lakers. So, AJ, congratulations. You're coming back tomorrow. If you win tomorrow, you are a Hall of Famer. So get some rest. Hydrate. We'll talk to you then. All right. Sounds good to you guys. Talk to you guys tomorrow. All right. Thanks, AJ. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Cardinals are on a 113-win pace. The offense humming. The pitching seeming to be holding up. How much have your expectations for this team changed since opening day? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Karen Smallman on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals are one of only two teams in the National League with a 700 winning percentage or better. The Cardinals at 7-3 and three at 700 and the Dodgers at 750 with a record of 9-3. and three. Michelle, the Cardinals in the National League right now have the fourth best earned run average at 2.97. In terms of runs, they really haven't hit their stride. They're only 10th in runs. So they, they can pick that up the bottom of the order. But when you look at the bottom line, and we've talked about the fact that most teams, well, no, not most teams. Every team is finding their way because mm-hmm. of the shortened spring training. I think with where the Cardinals are right now, you have to be reasonably happy. If you go back to, for me, the day before they signed Pujols to now, my expectations of this team are greater than they were on that day. What were they that day? How have they risen? I thought that the, the Cardinals would be the seventh or eighth best team in the National League. Now... And it's not necessarily because of Albert. It's because of the the dominance of Nolan Arenado and the fact that I think their starting pitching is going to be fine. Hudson is really the only guy that hasn't had a really good start yet of the four. 
I, I have confidence that if healthy, this pitching can be fine. I really like the bullpen and obviously the offense, especially the top five, I, I like so far. I know that Harrison Bader is going to hit. I'm not so sure about Paul DeYoung. I'm confident that Carlson is going to hit. If I, if I go around the lineup, I'm confident in O'Neill. I'm confident in Bader. I'm reasonably confident in Carlson, although I don't think he's going to hit 30 home runs like I thought he would. Arnado is going to be great. Edmund, I think, is going to be fine. Goldie is going to be great. And then behind the plate, I think you'll be good enough. So my question offensively is at shortstop, but the defense at shortstop might be enough with the rest of the offense to allow you to carry him. So my expectations for this team was that they would win the division, they would be a playoff team, and a a team that you felt good about entering the playoffs. Not just a, let's sneak in and roll the dice, but I thought you'd feel more confident in this team than you had in years past when they entered the playoffs. And Randy, I don't think my expectations have jumped up that much, even though we really love some of the trends that we're seeing early on from the Cardinals. As you mentioned, with the truncated spring training, a lot of teams are still figuring themselves out. And I look at the quality of opponents that the Cardinals have face thus far uh the pirates not great you know and that's that's Mm -hmm. four games or three games because one was rained out off the top the royals the marlins now you split two with the brewers and even though so far the marlins are a a team that you shouldn't overlook they're a sneaky better team than people give them credit for they're still four and seven so far to start the season but i look back to last year and the expectations and confidence that i had in a team early on and then the month of june happened so i am mm-hmm. tempering expectations even though i would say a lot of components of this team have superseded what i expected out of them thus far as you mentioned starting pitching i've been thrilled with some of the performances that we've seen out of some of these guys especially miles michaelis i didn't really know what to expect from mm-hmm. him and as was on display last night he looks great dominant and ready to go the offense is absolutely cruising and we didn't really know what to expect from Albert Pujols or the DH position I think he's exceeded a lot of expectations even though internally people were trying to tell us that he still had a lot left in the tank and that he would be effective for the team I think until Cardinals fans saw it put into action they didn't really know what to expect so so far so good but I'm trying to temper my expectations and see how uh we'll see what we're talking about when it comes to June one thing that I expected with Oliver Marmol, is that there would be a lot more lineup and team tinkering. He's pretty much had the same group, right? Uh, Until last night when Carlson didn't lead off, it's been Carlson, Goldie, O'Neal, Arenado, and either Pujols or Dickerson. And there has been fluctuation with the bottom of the lineup. Gallegos has been the closer. He hasn't really messed around with the bullpen that much. That part of it, the stability of the manager, which I like, has been, in my opinion, a pleasant surprise. I thought there that there would be a lot more, uh, well, today we're going to use this guy as the leadoff hitter because of his history against this particular pitcher. I like having a lineup and being able to count on a group of people, and I'm glad that Marmol, at least to this point, has done that, and I wonder if that'll continue. I do, too. I wonder at what point he's going to want to start experimenting a little bit more with things. Is it at the beginning of May, is is he waiting to see a certain sample size out of out of certain players before he decides to move things around? And that's an, an interesting wrinkle of this season, too, because buried under all of the Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina and Nolan Arenado chatter, we still kind of forget that Ali Marmol is a rookie manager mm-hmm. and that he's trying to find his way. We don't really know what the leash is going to be like for players under somebody like Oliver Marmol. Is if he, 
is he in concert with the front office giving players certain yeah. amount of time to to show what they can do? How much did the shortened spring training go into those decisions? So those are things that we still need to see play out. But it's kind of remarkable to me how when you rank the list of storylines from um, a prominent standpoint or an interest standpoint, the fact that a rookie manager is taking over this team is maybe a tier three storyline right. with this Cardinals team. It's kind of crazy. We had uh, on the fast lane yesterday, they they had a mic drop that said, I love watching this th- team with these three great legends, Pujols, Wainwright, and uh, Molina. And then you got Arnado and Goldschmidt helping out, too. <laughs> helping out. They're helping out, too. That's pretty cool. Some of the text 65780 from the 217. Cautiously optimistic. We haven't played anyone yet, LOL. And that's true. But when you traverse this division in 2022, you aren't going to play many. You're, you're going to see a lot of the Reds. You're going to see a lot of the Pirates. You're going to see a lot of the Cubs. We still don't know what they're going to be yet. And the, the Cardinals get Arizona in the near future. If you look around this league, you aren't going to see a lot that you're going to have to deal with. They'll see the Dodgers six times. Uh, they'll, they'll see the Giants six times and the Mets. But otherwise, I think the Cardinals right now, the, the Cardinals are as good as Atlanta is. I think the Cardinals are as good as or better than Philadelphia is. I think the Cardinals are as good as or better than the Padres are. So, And the Cardinals split with Milwaukee. Right. So I think that they can play with anybody. From the 314, my expectations for this Cardinal team have just been reaffirmed by watching the games. In a league filled with young talent, the Cardinals play fundamental baseball, while young and talented teams play sloppy baseball, and that gives the Cardinals an edge. And it's something that we don't pay as baseball fans around the country enough attention to, is that if you play good fundamental baseball, inevitably, the other team is going to find a way to lose it. You don't have to win. All you have to do is play good, clean baseball, and many times the other team will just hand it to you. Yeah, and with the defense that this Cardinals team has, you're playing good, clean baseball most nights. Isn't it hard, though, when you get excited about about a team, especially out of the gate, mm-hmm. when you're seeing Nolan Arenado doing what he's doing? You're, you're seeing so many positive signs from this team to not overreact. It's what we do as sports fans. We want to get excited, and especially because I truly believe if the Cardinals beat the Dodgers last year and that playoff game and they were one swing away from having a chance to do so that they were a very dangerous team they were really hot coming off that 17 game win shrink I truly believe in my bones that they could have made a run Mm -hmm. in the playoffs done some damage Um, but they just weren't that team consistently throughout the year June is the big outlier but that's what I think most Cardinals fans are looking for this year is to see I'm not suggesting that the Cardinals go on another 17 game win shrink that was an historic feat but I think they're looking to see more of that version of the team consistently this year so that when they get into the playoffs, they feel confident about the team. I think back to 2019, the team was in the NLCS, and I think a lot of Cardinals fans really had this feeling that they had no chance in that series, and it didn't work out well for them. But I think based on the early trends that you're seeing from this team, you do feel like you'll be a little bit more confident in them if and when they make the playoffs. One more quick text, and this is from... The 636, just to name a couple, have you looked at the Mets and Dodgers rosters? Yeah, we, we kind of have. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're good, but not when compared to the elite teams. Sorry, Mo, you've done it again. So John Mozeliak has not spent $288 million like the Dodgers have or $258 million like the Mets have. And let's see how things play out. Again, it's early. I like what I've seen of the Cardinals. And I think that they can win the division. And like we said, hey, the the, the Mets are nine and four, the Dodgers are nine and three. But 
as the Dodgers have shown more times than not, just because you have the highest payroll doesn't mean you're going to win the World Series. That's true. And the Cardinals are sitting in first in the division. They're at 7-3. and three. They're looking good. Yeah, they'll take it. And they get to take on the Mets next week. So that will be a good test for this texter. If the Cardinals take two out of three from the Mets, then he'll text in and say, boy, that Mo is a genius. I'm sure that'll happen. Is there a certain stretch that you're looking at during the season that you think will be a good barometer? Because I'm kind of looking at the end of May. May 23rd, the Cardinals have two versus Toronto, and then they have a four-game series versus Milwaukee before leading into three versus the Padres. At the end of May, you're going to have a better sense of what this team is. And I think when you have a stretch versus quality opponents, that might be a, a better early barometer of what you, uh, of mm-hmm. how you can base your expectations. Yeah. I think we can only fairly judge this team when Flaherty is back. And I think that I'm kind of looking at mid-June, Michelle, because they have an off day on the 16th after playing the Reds and the Pirates here. Then they go to Boston for three. They go to Milwaukee for four, come home against the Cubs for three, and then the Marlins for three here. And I just think that he is, as much as I love Wayno. I think Flaherty, when he's pitching well and healthy, is the number one for this team. I, I really don't know if he gets healthy this year, and that that's an if, mm-hmm. but if Flaherty is on the mound, I don't know that we can judge this team completely because I think they're going to be a completely different team if Flaherty's healthy. What did you have him at? 24 start, 16-4, and 2.73 ERA. A reminder of Randy's Jack Flaherty prediction. By the way, the stretch coming after the stretch you just mentioned. Yeah, it's pretty tough. Three at Philadelphia, four at Atlanta. Then you have a four-game series versus Philly here in St. Louis. Three games versus the Dodgers. You better have Flaherty healthy, right? Yikes. Those teams can hit. They, they can Yikes. hit. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's 101 ESPN. Coming up, Michelle said last night on the text that uh, her decision to name Nolan Arenado as the most indispensable player for the Cardinals, was absolutely verified last night. I said case closed. Case closed. Craig Emsinger, MLB Network, was asked whether or not he agrees this morning. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Seiden Stricker Noby John Deere. Find them online at snpartners.com. 904 in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We're going to be giving away a four-pack of tickets to the Budweiser Bash Cardinals and Mets next Tuesday. You can get an exclusive Keith Hernandez limited edition bobblehead when you go, and you can get information right now by going to cardinals.com slash promotions. But if you want to win a free one, stay tuned to the bottom of the hour, and I hope you listen to the fight. That's, mm. that's all I'm saying. I hope you listen to the fight. Okay. All right. Good tease. Thank you. Uh, Nolan Arnato, Michelle, with a game-winning home run for the Cardinals as they knocked off the Mar- Miami Marlins by a score of 2 to nothing. At the moment, Nolan Arnato is 10th in Major League Baseball in batting average at 368. He's second in home runs with five, tied with Ozzie Albies and Vladimir Guerrero. And he is 
third in OPS behind only Seiya Suzuki of the Cubs and Jose Ramirez of Cleveland. So Greg Amsinger joined us this morning, as he does every Thursday morning, and Michelle asked Greg if it was too early to start thinking about Nolan Arenado as the National League's most valuable player. Not at all. I'm already all in, and you guys know this. You're watching MLB tonight. I love on pace. I love MVP talk. I love trade deadline talk. Week two or week three of the season. Let's get into it now. Nolan Arnado's special. And look, a couple things. He's letting the hair grow out. So when you look good, you play good. And I think there's a little swagger to him that he didn't have last year. Uh, number three, uh, number two, I, I really truly believe in the human element. I think it, it is alive and well. And when you idolize a player like Albert Pools, and at times he's on the on-deck circle. I know Nolan. He's still a kid just like I'm still a kid at times. Nolan Arenado is looking on the on-deck circle behind him, and his favorite player is staring at him. So he's bringing his game to a level that he hasn't brought it to. And Michelle, Greg mentioned pace. At the moment, Nolan Arenado is on pace for 80 home runs. Ooh. So that would be pretty cool. He's also on pace, as we mentioned, for that uh, 1.337 OPS. And, oh, by the way, the RBI pace is 224, which would be an all-time record. So yeah. it's 80 not, homers, 224 ribs. It's not too early to talk NL MVP I don't think if that's so. the pace that you're on. But Greg touched on a couple important things. First and foremost, the hair. How have we not talked about it's the hair? Huge. The flow has been amazing for Nolan Arenado. And you're right. If you look good, you feel good. If you feel good, you play good. So I don't think we can discount the flow, Randy. Do you think he and Harrison Bader talked about this in the offseason? If Harrison Mm -hmm. gave gave him some tips on how to grow it out, maybe they're sharing a conditioner. I don't know. We need to get to the bottom of this. Number two, I don't think we can discount the Albert Pujols factor. Greg brings up a very interesting point that Nolan Arenado probably feels a certain type of way having his best uh, or the the guy he idolizes in the dugout with him and think about that when you perform and your parents show up to the game you always have that little extra oomph that you want to show up or you want to show your best or put your best foot forward when Albert Pujols is in the dugout I'm sure it's not just Nolan Arenado think about the ripple effect that that is probably having on this team the way that he's mentoring a lot of these young guys or guys just want to perform at a certain level knowing that he's around I also think you can't discount the comfort factor even though Nolan Arenado had a great year last year for the St. Louis Cardinals it still was his first season in St. Louis. There's a lot of firsts that come with that. You're finding your rhythm. You're getting comfortable with your routine. I think now he is that much more ingrained within this clubhouse and within the city and he's feeling a little bit more comfortable after an offseason where he worked on a lot of things and he's retooling himself. There's Just because somebody had a a comparatively good season doesn't mean that he felt comfortable the entire time or that he wasn't still getting acclimated to this new city and his new role. And I think we're seeing all of these things click in at once. And I would not be surprised if Nolan Arnauto was your National League MVP at the end of the season. And add all of those things to the idea that he's hitting fourth. And he didn't hit fourth every game last year, but he likes hitting fourth. And when the Cardinals got hot, by the way, it was when they put O'Neill third and R. Arenado fourth, and Tyler has a 349 on base in front of him, and then he has the hot Pujols behind him, at least for the majority of that the at-bat so far, so that Arenado, I would think, is probably being pitched like he never has been before in his career, because 
pitchers are still telling us that even though Albert Pujols is 42, they're still afraid of him. You don't want to, as great as Arenado is, you don't want to put a runner on so that you can face Albert Pujols. But think think about that decision you have to make if you're a pitcher. Yeah. Do I do I go for it with Arenado? Do I take my chances with Albert Pujols? It's a tough choice to make, and that's another thing that's benefiting him. And by the way, he's also got a chance to be on, and this is a big thing, a playoff team. When you look at the Mets, and Lindor is playing better than he did at any time last year for the Mets, but when you look at the the Mets' star players, they've got some guys that are going to be there. Pete Alonso is always going to be in the conversation, and it's a long season. Uh, we talked about Lindor. Eduardo Escobar is off to a great start for them. But I think at the end of the year, if you're going to predict some possibilities for MVP from the Mets, it'll probably be Lindor and Alonso. And then from the Dodgers. You've got Trey Turner off to a great mm-hmm. start. You're going to have Mookie in the conversation. Sure. And then for the Cardinals, you know that Goldschmidt's going to get hot. And you've got Arenado. So you're probably, right now, I, I don't think the Brewers really have a guy that you say, okay, he's going to be the MVP. I think if you're looking right now, you could probably look at that half dozen and have a pretty good chance of getting the MVP out of that group. And think about this. If Nolan Arenado can sustain this and Paul Goldschmidt gets hot and Tyler O'Neill is cooking and Albert Pujols continues to be a threat, yikes, that's that's a lot of firepower in this offense. And what it does is allows a team to carry a, a lesser bat like DeYoung. And I know people say, well, DeYoung can't hit, so therefore he can't play defense. But his defense at shortstop is really, really good. And if you have that sort of a top five and then whether it's Carlson or Edmund hitting sixth, you can carry the bat. And hopefully Kisner keeps hitting, too, because I think he'll probably wind up playing 70, 80 games, maybe half the season. And my my point is, I think that as much as people want to got to have a whipping boy, right? Yeah. So And DeYoung's a guy right now. He can still play shortstop for you. And if your offense is what you suggest, and I don't disagree with your thought process— I think you can afford to carry a bat like that. Speaking of whipping boy, can we just take 60 seconds and give a a quick John Mozeliak appreciation minute? Mm -hmm. I know a lot of Cardinals fans are never going to be satisfied with Mo. They want him to be more aggressive. But think about the fact that not only Mo went out and got Nolan Arenado, but that the Rockies are paying the Cardinals to have him. He got them to pay the Cardinals to take this guy who's in the conversation for National League MVP. It's pretty impressive. I would say like appreciation minutes. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. And hey, who who put the team together? Who went out and got Goldschmidt? Who was overseeing the people that drafted Tommy Edmond and Harrison Bader and Dylan Carlson? And, and made the money? trade for Tyler O'Neill. And brought they back some money. Come on now. And brought back Albert Pujols. Katie yeah. Wu with an exceptional piece yeah. at The Athletic about how the Albert acquisition went down. And I thought it was very important in the piece to note that Mo spoke with Albert specifically, and Albert's agent to make sure that they knew what role was going to be required of him. A lot of people wanting to accuse Mo or the Cardinals of just making this move to put butts in seats. And no, John Mozeliak and the Cardinals wanted to make sure that not only Albert was going to be productive for them, but that he understood the role that was going to be here for him if he came to the Cardinals. And I just really enjoyed reading that piece about how quickly it all came together mm-hmm. and how Ali Marmol texted John Mozeliak and just said five once back. And think about that for a second, that you could just say five once back and everybody knows who you're talking yeah. about. That's the type of importance yeah. that he holds within this organization and this franchise. Michelle, when we went into the pandemic year two years ago, most people were picking the Reds to win the division. Now the Reds are in last place. They've lost nine in a row. Oof. 
and they aren't going anywhere. You can hate on DeWitt, and you can hate on Mo. I kind of like winning. Yeah, you can't spell disaster without Reds, Randy. Yikes. <laughs> That's a good point. Yikes. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, and that was today's big thing, Jeremy Rutherford talking to Blues as they embark on their Pacific time zone trip. We talk to JR next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Let's head to the Ron Crouppen Celebrity Line, the one, the only, Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic. Our Blues Insider joins us. Good morning, JR. How you doing? Good morning, you guys. How are you guys doing? I'm Good. doing well. Hey, I want you to, uh, and if you want to disagree with David Braun, feel free to do so. <laughs> he told us that he prefers to start on the road, and I get that with the 2019 team, why he would feel that way. That being said, with Huso's dominance at home and with young players like Jordan Cairo and Thomas, even though he's played for a Stanley Cup champion, I think I might like the comforts of home for this team in the first round. Where do you fall there? Yeah, I heard that interview you guys did with uh, David Perron, and didn't he say, uh, I don't know if Tom Stillman's listening to <laughs> yeah, this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's going to want that one extra game uh, at home. No, I can understand where David Perron's coming from. And look, this team's uh, 6-0-1 in the last seven road games heading into this uh, West Coast trip here. So they do play well on the road, but I think you're right. I think with uh, Huso's dominance at home, and let's not forget this, but this Minnesota team is going to be riled up come game one. You know, they could have Marc-Andre Fleury in that. They have a great home record. As much as the Blues has do- have dominated the Minnesota Wild, you could go up to, to Minnesota and fall 0-2. So I do think uh, Enterprise Center is a place to start that series if you're a Blues fan. JR, you have a great piece at The Athletic about Ville, who's so earning that game one start for the Blues in the playoffs. But if slash when Jordan Bennington is called upon, what's your confidence level with him? He's won three in a row, the latest being uh, that win over the weekend uh, versus Nashville. But where are you at with Jordan Bennington? I, I like him. I like the way he's played here lately. And to me, it goes beyond the three wins, even though what that's the match's longest stretch or second longest stretch he's had this season. I think just watching him, you can tell – He's moving around better, not sliding around, uh, squaring up to the puck a little more. And as Craig Bruby said the other day, he feels like that swagger is back with Jordan Bennington. You know, when I wrote the piece, I felt like bigger picture, Billy Huso's the guy to go with. He's the guy who's who's gotten you here. He's the guy who's proven that he can make some big-time saves. He's done that a lot here lately. But with Jordan Bennington and the way he's playing lately, you know, hypothetically, game two, Huso doesn't have it. You have to turn to Jordan Bennington. Look, he's going to just wake up. This is the playoffs. Uh, after putting together a few good games here, I think you'd get a good goaltending out of Jordan Bennington. So I'd start Huso, I'd go that route, but I wouldn't be uh, at all opposed to going to Jordan Bennington if you had to. JR, you did a great job of covering the entire Vladimir Tarasenko saga last summer. And we, we read and hear now that Tarasenko is telling teammates and coaches th- that he'd like to stay. What are you hearing about that? What's the latest on Vladdy and his desire to either stay or go? Yeah, Randy, I've checked in you know, on this uh, fairly routinely. And uh, you know what I keep hearing is that it'll be revisited in the offseason. And you know, does it look like Vladdy wants to stay? Does it look like there's been a, a change of heart and he would not follow through with that trade request? You know, 
potentially. It, he certainly looks like he's having fun. He's having a career year. He's he put up the most points uh, in his career the other night uh, with this uh, extended point run point streak run that he's on. Um, so does he want to go? I don't. I don't know that he wants to go. I just think that they're going to have to sit down at the end of the year and and figure out what they need to do with one year left on that contract. Is he going to resign here when that year is up? Do they give him an extension? Does he want an extension? So I think there are a lot of positive things going on with this situation, a lot of things that no one really could have envisioned with where things were last summer. Um, but I don't know that it's set in stone that he'll be here next year or that he'll sign an extension. I think that stuff will all have to be revisited. And, Jr. the reality of the situation is, even if with the Blues win the Stanley Cup, they're going to have – interest in Matthew Kachuk, and he's going to have mutual interest, and you're going to need cap space to bring a guy like that aboard, whether it's after this season or after next season. And you might get the most. Your greatest benefit from Vladimir Tarasenko, especially if you could win a Stanley Cup, might be to just move him and have somebody pay a lot in assets to get him uh, to, to move him away. Yeah, that's definitely another way to look at it because, you know, whether it's Matthew Kachuk or it's just another direction that the Blues are going, uh, at some point you're going to have to clear up some cap space. And do you take advantage of the great season that Vladdy's had? And, you know, now he's in his early 30s and and you do make that trade. You do get some assets to kind of replenish the the system with what Vladimir Tarasenko uh, did this year. I think it's a strong possibility. You know, another situation the Blues have is uh, David Prime. Do they bring uh, him back? So I think there's the flexibility uh, with a Tarasenko situation, with a Perron situation, if the Blues want to find some cap space. You know, Matthew Kachuk's going to cost a ton. I can't see the Blues giving up the assets that it's going to take and then also sign him to the big contract uh, going into uh, to, to his next deal. Uh, but I could see a situation where if he becomes a, a free agent, uh, the Blues could take a look at, at Matthew Kachuk. So, so you're right. That's why I don't think it's as clear-cut as some people about Tarasenko coming back. JR, the Blues have been playing great. They stopped a nine-game win streak with that loss versus Boston, but really every component of this team is rolling right now. But in these last five games before the Blues enter the playoffs, is there anything specific that you're going to be looking for that you want to see out of this team as they get ready to go into the postseason? Well, Michelle, the one question that I had, and they kind of showed it the other night, I really felt like uh, I just want to see them compete and, uh, and and show that intensity. And that's what I've been saying for a couple weeks now. Sometimes that disappeared uh, when these games were really big down the stretch. But you look at this last stretch, you talked about these five games. Now, the Blues played five games in eight days. They played three and four. They had a horrible second period against the Boston Bruins. And what did they do come out in that third period and compete? So that showed me a lot as this team, you know, tired, tough stretch of hockey, uh, an emotional game against Minnesota, I thought there was a chance that they'd go down to to Nashville and lay an egg uh, because of uh, the emotion that was in that Minnesota game. But what do they do? They go out and score seven goals in the second period, win the game eight to three. So to me, they've shown a lot here. I mean, if you're looking for a question or two, um, sure, I think it's Jordan Cairo. I think uh, he's a guy that needs to to show that he's going to be able to help you in the playoffs. And I think, uh, you know, what are they going to do defensively? You know, you thought that that uh, Krug and Falk would get back together, but they're playing Nick Letty with Justin Falk, and that's working. So how is this defense, how are the pairings going to shake out? And do, in fact, they go with Billy Huso in the playoffs, like we were suggesting yesterday in the article? JR, I know that this gets asked a lot, 
but we talk about who could make a Jaden Schwartz-type impact in the playoffs, and I look at the roster, and because everybody's done so well, I really can't find somebody where I thought, okay, he had a down regular season, and he's going to turn it on in the playoffs. Is there that guy on this roster this year? Yeah, I think that you look up and down the roster, like you just said, and, and everybody's doing it. I said this the other day, that every time I go to look uh, at a player's point streak, it seems like everybody's on a five or six, or in Robert Thomas's case, a 14-game point streak. You know, I don't think there necessarily is that type of player where if you, if you, you don't want to say get that guy going, but if you can get, you know, an ordinary production out of uh, one of these players, like we said with Jaden Schwartz a few years ago, that that's just going to benefit this team big time. Obviously, Jordan Cairo has to, you know, be somewhat of the player that he was throughout the season for this team. You know, I don't look at Cairo and say, you know, the Blues can get by without him. Uh, of course they can, but they definitely need his production like they got all season. So I think that's a guy, maybe not a similar case to Schwartz, like we were saying, but I think he's a guy that needs to step up. Um, and, and this defense has to play strong. So maybe, Randy, the answer to your question isn't uh, from a points perspective or, or goals or things like that. But uh, I, I think if this Blues team's going to go a couple rounds in the playoffs, this defense has to be a story. It has to come together. Uh, Nick Letty's been really good. Tory Krug's back and healthy. Looks good. You know, I think we need to be uh, writing about how well this defense is playing if we're writing about this Blues team into the second and third round. Finally, JR, you took over the beat at the PD after the lockout, right? Right, right. So you've had Kitchen, you've had Murray, you've had Payne, you've had Hitch, you've had Yo, and you've had Baruby, right? Right. What sets Chief apart? Why is he different? (laughs) You know, to me, uh, I think it's his calm demeanor. And, you know, if I can say this, just no BS. And I have all the respect in the world for all those other coaches um, you know, especially uh, Ken Hitchcock and what he's accomplished in his career. Um, you know, but I think, you know, at times there were games played between coaches and uh, players. And I think that's the case probably around the league with a lot of coaches. And, you know, sometimes those games get old and, you know, those relationships run stale. But I think with Craig Bruby, there are no games. Every time I talk to a player, you know, they tell you that he tells it to you straightforward, and they appreciate that. And you know where he's coming from. And, you know, we watch out on the ice uh, after practice, and he's going individually talking to guys, saying, hey, you're out tonight, and, and here's why, and things like that. So to me, uh, his calm demeanor, and there's absolutely no BS with this guy. JR, always good to hear from you, and uh, we'll enjoy this trip. You have fun out there on – I'm not calling it a West Coast trip because you're in Arizona too. I'm calling it a Pacific time zone trip. <laughs> That'll work. That'll work. And hey, I popped up uh, quick and easy today, uh, six o'clock, and ready to go for you guys. So uh, I guess my body clock here um, overrode anything else. You're the best. Thanks, Jr. Have a great day. Thanks a lot, guys. You guys too. See you. That's Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues Insider from the Athletic on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we've got your Killing Me Smalls, and we're going to give away some tickets to a Cardinal game. Ooh, you want to listen ask, for that? What, let's ask the question now. Oh, okay, You great. want to? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So the question is, and let's let Matthew, because this is not an easy one to look up. So the, the question was, the last time before now that the Blues had three players, and it was Janny, Shanny, and Hully, is this correct? What year was it that they had what? What was it? What was the question? 20 points in one month. Though the... What year was it that those three players had 20 points in one month? That's a great question. And texter number, uh, 
because it's a blues question. Let's go with 57. Okay. okay. David Perron. Texture number 57 that knows the answer gets four tickets to the Cardinals Budweiser Bash game next Tuesday against the Mets. You get an exclusive Keith Hernandez limited edition bobblehead giveaway and... All the details for this season's series of Budweiser Bash Cards games are now at cardinals.com slash promotions. Text in the season that that happened, and if you're number 57 with the correct answer, you're headed to the Cards and Mets next Tuesday. You're killing me, Smalls. Next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Congratulations to Andy in St. Charles. He knew that the year that Craig Janney and Brendan Chan and Brett Hall all scored 20 points in a month was the 92-93 season. Is that right? 92-93 season. Yes, correct. That's that's when it happened. It was about 50-50 on the text line, which was where I was, too. Specifically, it was January of 1993 in that 92-93 season. So, there you go. 92-93. So, Andy is on his way to the Budweiser Bash. He'll get the Keith Hernandez bobblehead next week. And Michelle, he'll be at the ballpark with Keith Hernandez doing the Mets broadcasting. Albert Pujols either playing for the Cardinals or in the dugout, and Paul Goldschmidt. So three of the preeminent Cardinal first basemen of all time will be in the ballpark at that same time as Andy. A lot of juice in one ballpark. And didn't you say Bob Costas might be there as well? He will be doing the game, yeah. So a lot of greatness in one ballpark. A lot of St. Louis greatness. That's right. And you'll be there? I will be there. And Uh, so will you. Yes, I'll be there too, but I wouldn't put myself in that conversation. I I would put you in that conversation, Randy, but not me. Thank you, but you deserve it. You, you, we're a team. <laughs> oh, you're the best. I'll ride your coattails all day. It's time for your Killing Me Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls. Let's talk NBA playoffs. First round, let's go to the East. 76ers, Raptors, overtime, Randy. Clock running down, shot clock running down, time running out. 76ers head coach Doc Rivers, he calls timeout to save the possession. Here's what happens. Joel Embiid takes an inbound pa- pass from Danny Green. seconds left. He hits the turnaround shot from near the sideline. He makes a three-pointer with, like I said, .8 seconds left in overtime. He gives the 76ers a 104-101 victory to give them a 3-0 lead in the first round series over the Raptors. Michelle, this guy is 7 feet and 280 pounds, and he's hitting a game-winning three at the buzzer. This is not something that I saw when I was a kid. You didn't see the seven footer hitting the the twenty five foot shot. It's just I love how much basketball has changed because he caught the, the play before that when he just jacked up that three that, that had no prayer. Mm-hmm. He caught that ball. He had he had got post position on the elbow, but he caught the ball and his big steps took him out to the three point line and then he went to work. I just can't imagine an entry pass into a big man that somehow gets him a position on the three point line. I love how much basketball has changed. It's kind of beautiful. He is the MVP. He's Now that he's just being able to play, he's not hurt all the time, mm-hmm. he is clearly the best big man in the game and one of the four or five best players in the game. He said to Drake after the game, he's coming for the sweep too. Here's Joel Embiid talking after the game about hitting that game-winning shot. I mean, that's uh, you know, one of my favorite spots. And uh, I just miss from... Uh, from right there to uh, to end the game, uh, so you know I just thought you know great play call. Uh, Tobias had an amazing screen. Uh, Danny had a great pass. So all I had to do really to was to finish it, and uh, I'm glad I did. 
He said he felt it felt great, but the job is not done. In the last 25 years, there have only been three players that hit a playoff buzzer beater in overtime. Embiid, Luka Doncic, and uh, Stefan Marbury. One of these things is not like the other, you know? <laughs> so I, I, am, I admired the Starbury shoes, which were only like 15 bucks, but I wouldn't have pegged him to be the other guy. Did you, you had the shoes? Patrick had the shoes. Nice. Yeah, he asked for them for Christmas one year. Did you have the Sean Kemp shoes? No, I did not. Those were fire. Yeah, you had to have like a dozen pair, though. I remember, oh, I remember people would have the Sean Kemp shoes, the Zuba pants, and the starter jacket. Oh, very cool. That was Stenton back in the day. Yeah. So, you know why they had to make the Sean Kemp shoes? Because like 16 babies need shoes. <laughs> Fire the sound. You're dirt. killing me, Smalls. <laughs> by, by the way, <laughs> the Raptors and the 76ers, 76ers looking to close it out Saturday, 1 p.m. Game four, just in case anyone wants to tune in for that. All right, so Debo Samuel. Let's talk Debo Samuel for a second. So for the past few months, the 49ers said that they want to keep Debo Samuel. He doesn't really see it that way. He spoke to Jeff Darlington yesterday. He's entering the final year of his rookie contract and said that he has requested that the 49ers trade him. Now, he didn't really give specific reasons to Jeff Darlington why he's requesting this trade, but did tell him uh, that he has, in fact, requested to trade. Here's Jeff Darlington, NFL insider, talking about the information that he got from Debo Samuel. Well, Debo Samuel told me today, Field, that he has told the organization he would like to be traded out of San Francisco. This coming after he wiped his social media of all references to San Francisco, but making clear to me that that is the case. He no longer wants to be part of the team. He said he'd like to keep the reasons private for now, but very clear on this field, he wants to be out of San Francisco. He wasn't there when the Niners opened their off-season conditioning program earlier this week. And a lot of people, Randy, wondering where he might land if they, in fact, deal him. He had 77 catches for 1,405 yards, six touchdowns. He joined Marshall Falk in 1999 and Roger Craig in 1984, I believe it was, as the only three players to have... A thousand yards receiving five rushing touchdowns and five receiving touchdowns. He's a really talented player, but Michelle, I don't think that he's going to succeed the way he does with Kyle Shanahan's offense with just any offense. And if I'm another team, I don't want to give, uh, clearly, you'd think that he would want the Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill type of contract, right? Sure, why not? I don't Who think wouldn't? he's that great. But you know what? You you never get what you want unless you ask for it. So if you're Debo coming off this year, aren't you going to at least try? His agent should be more responsible than that. I mean, Debo Samuel should never be the highest paid receiver in the league. I can get it with Tyreek Hill, most explosive player I've ever seen. I can get it with Devontae Adams, who gets open. You, you can't stop him. He's unstoppable. Yeah. But Debo, he he's a nice, he's a really, really good player, but kind of a gadget guy. A, a great gadget guy. I just don't see him as being that great. And last year, by the way, was the first time he'd ever played in 16 games, too. He's The year before, he only played in seven. So his health has been an issue as well. I, If I were the 49ers, and this is a money issue, I don't blame them one bit for holding the line on paying him, if indeed he does want top wide receiver money. If Debo's on the move, where could he go? Marcus Spears of ESPN, he was talking about this on NFL Live. What about America's team, Randy? 
listen, I tweeted out as soon as Jeff George broke this news, Debo Samuel feels like a Raven. But I'm telling y'all, y'all know where I want him to go. And I know it's going to get on y'all nerves. And I know y'all going to hate for me to say it. But my first reaction was, Dallas, please get on the phone. Let the man go there. We need a tone setter. We need a guy that's going to change the culture and how they play football in Dallas. And we know Debo Samuel is one of those dudes who impacts how everybody else around them plays. I would love to have, just, just picture this for a second with me, guys. On the offensive side of the football, I got Debo Samuel, okay. who's a dog, mm. who not only barks, but he jumps off the porch when it's time to fight. So uh, I get the enthusiasm for the player in the year he had last year. But the Cowboys aren't, aren't smart enough. Kellen Moore may or may not be a good offensive coordinator. Mike McCarthy may or may not still. I think the game has kind of passed him by offensively. I don't think that that organization right now is capable of maximizing Debo Samuel. But I do like what Marcus Spears mentioned off the top when mm-hmm. he said he tweeted that he feels like a raven. Give a weapon like that to Lamar Jackson. And there's a creative offensive staff. Greg Roman, with what they've done with Lamar and the way that they utilize their running backs and receivers. And Mark Andrews has kind of become their number one receiver. I could see the creativity of Baltimore maximizing a guy like Debo. That would make sense. You're killing me, Smalls! And finally, Randy, two-time national championship winning coach, head coach of Villanova since 2001. A bit of a surprise, but yesterday it was announced that Jay Wright uh, is retiring not only just from Villanova, he's not just stepping away from Nova, he's retiring from coaching altogether. He's stepping away. Kyle Neptune, a long assistant under Jay Wright, is going to become Villanova's new head coach. First thing I thought was Jay Wright to the Lakers, and then Woj sent out a tweet like immediately that said no. It didn't say no, Randy. It just said no. But it was it was definitely pointed at you. I, I thought it was. Yeah. And then the second thing I thought of, does the new coach, if he really succeeds at a high level with Villanova, to a Jay Wright level, does he like get a salad named after him in Philly? Maybe. A Neptune salad? You guys don't know the Neptune salad? This is a, this that is that a, joke this is not landing with me. Is, yeah. Yeah, okay, sorry. Well, here, uh, uh, I've never heard of a Neptune, Neptune I was like, salad. They're delicious. I was thinking, wouldn't he get a cheesesteak or something first you would for hope. a salad? <laughs> but uh, I've never heard of Slash oh, had a Neptune a seafood salad. salad. It's a, yeah, it's a crab salad. Oh, crab salad sounds kind of good. Yeah. With pasta. Yeah, it's delicious. I don't mind that at all. Hmm. Sure. Our, we've already got the salad. I was just throwing it. Is out there a local? Is this? A, is there a place where this is a local delicacy? I can go. I, I need to like hammer down or what? Go to like the Schnooks Deli. Really? Yeah, it's okay. delicious. Okay, you love it. There Neptune it salad. Mm-hmm. Learn something salad. new every day. It's like go. something that they made up in like Atlantic City in the Depression. I don't know why it just well, does. That could be. <laughs> now, one part of this, I wonder how much Jay Wright set this up because Neptune was under five hundred, right at Fordham. I wonder if Jay Wright set this up so that he could pick his own successor, kind of like Krzyzewski and Roy Williams did. A Bruce Arians move, if you Right, will. exactly. Yes, I love it. Because the timing now, everybody's put together their staffs. They've got their head coaches. Coaches aren't generally on the move now. But he, it sounds like, just waited until now so that he could get his guy in there. If it is, in fact, 
the move that he made. I kind of love it. I love that uh, Bruce Arians would make the move where the timing's right that he can name his guy because if you're going to walk away, you want everything you've built to not only remain intact, but you, you want to take care of your guys mm-hmm. on the way out. So if it was orchestrated so that he could put Kyle Neptune in that position, kudos to him. But but Jay Wright's going to remain at Villanova in a new role. It's going to have some fundraising, advising, and education components mm-hmm. to it. So he's still going to be around. I always thought Jay Wright was kind of like the man's man, the George Clooney of coaches. You know, the dress and the... Are you the, trying to tell me you think he's hot? Per, yeah, perfectly coiffed hair. I would have never dreamed he was 60, you know, because he's in such great condition. It's crazy that he is 60 years yeah. old. He does not look 60. No, he does not. So what do you think? You, you're a better gauge of the hot guy than me. Well, I think if you're talking... Attractive. Co- doesn't have to be hot. Just attractive, stately. He's a handsome man. Yeah, handsome. Good yeah, word. Yeah, he's very well put together. He, Oh, you're right. The dress, the composure. This is a guy who, who knows what his look is, and he yeah. leans into it. Yeah, he. all of those suits are custom-made in New York. Of course they are. Come on. Fantastic. And one other quick fun fact. So last year, they had a debate, uh, apparently an hour-long debate, among Big East coaches about whether to go back to wearing suits or wearing a pullover, like I'm wearing a Cardinal pullover right now. He cast the deciding vote for the cash for the pullover and the sweats because his assistant coaches said, coach, we can never lay, live up to the way you look in a suit. So at least we have a chance to look halfway decent with you next to us. So the t- deciding vote was cast by Jay Wright to go casual among Big East coaches. And then he doesn't go casual. He wears the suit, right? No, he wore, he was he, he, he went, went casual. casual. He yeah. went casual. It was, it was one of the saddest parts about this season that Jay Wright stopped wearing a suit. Yeah, it was a rule. It was a Big East coach's rule. You had to go casual. Yeah. I get why, but also at the same time, Jay, just take a note out of our, our out of our boy Yachty's playbook. Get your tailor to drive down the road and fit yeah, out that take, coaching staff yeah, with your tailor. Come yeah. on now. True. You know, we had this conversation over the weekend, going to mass on Easter Sunday. I can't tell you how many people were in sweats, how many people were in jeans. It's a different world. It is a different world that we live in. And I was thinking, if you're not gonna get dressed up for Easter or for Christmas, when are you gonna you get dressed up? dressed up? I just don't I just don't know if people care to get dressed up anymore. And I know uh, the pandemic probably mm-hmm. has a lot to do with that. We were living in sweats for two years. A lot of people don't want to go back to getting dressed up. Just two? I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I'm not, but it's just, when I was a kid, I couldn't ever imagine wearing jeans or sweats to Easter or Christmas mass. You know, and we've we've had this attrition of, of dress mm-hmm. throughout time. I mean, people used to get dressed up to go on a train or a plane or go to a baseball game. Right. But it just seems like nobody wants to get dressed up anymore. No, it's all about comfort now. Yeah. And by the way, when I go to church, I still, I, I don't wear jeans or sweats to church. I still wear at least Dockers or something. Nice. Yeah. So look as good as I can. Okay. Your Sunday best. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Two quick texts. This one from the 314. Neptune salads are the greatest. Randy is showing his savoir faire. Mm-hmm. I got to look that up. Look at this 314 boomer vibes coming from the morning show. Totally boomer. <laughs> I don't think 59. it's 59. I'm a boomer. I embrace it. I am it. not a boomer. You I, are not. I just think that we've lost elegance as a society. Yeah. Bring elegance back. There's nothing wrong with elegance. Savoir it's a good f- thing. Savoir faire is just kind of like a, a classiness. You're, oh. you're, show, you're showing like a like a worldliness, a classiness, a, a smoothness oh. that's got a kind of a, 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 a nice So he, that person it. called me a boomer also. No, he called you. He called you well, a, a man with some class, boom, some style. Boomers are classy and have have oh, fair. Oh wow! I'm thinking, Randy, though, <laughs> wow. that you are doing what I'm saying, which is bringing elegance back. 
I was say, if anybody on this show has savoir faire, we know on a daily basis it's Michelle. She's not a boomer. No. I just, it's just surprising to me that no one, yeah. there used to be an art form into getting dressed up right. for something. You know, you took a, a great care and making sure that you were wearing a specific outfit mm-hmm. that you, this is how I want to present myself. No one cares anymore. No, they don't. You're right. Uh, and it'd be nice if people did. But if you look at like 19, and this is kind of going off the rails here, but if you look at 1970s blues games, women were going to blues games wearing their full fur coats yeah. and guys were all dressed up in, in their Sunday, Sunday best on Saturday night. You never saw a jersey. If you look at highlights from the 1968 World Series, you don't see one single jersey in the stands. It's all suits and ties and hats and fedoras and stuff like that. Because it was a major event. Right. And... Times have changed, and I don't. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It, people are saying that, that that's a bad thing because it's a boomer thing. I think. When's the last time you saw me dressed up, Michelle? It's been a long time, right? I don't know, Randy. You you looked pretty spiffy at the Cardinals home opener. Oh yeah, wear my you Cardinal know, gear. We were all dressed up that day. Yeah, that's true. Well, well, at least the media. I mean, yeah. But for the most part, uh, I'm not a guy who dresses up a lot. But so. they say if you look good, you feel, you feel good. good, you feel good, you play good, you perform right. good. Uh, there is something about I'm wearing my best outfit, I'm feeling confident today, and it's going to affect the way that I, this experience that I have or how I do my job. Let me put it this way. If I were applying for a job and meeting the person interviewing me for the first time, I would dress up and look the best I possibly could. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And uh, hey. You kids, you Gen Xers and Gen Zers and whatever else, listen to us. We're boomers. I'm a boomer. Michelle's not. No, I'm a millennial. Millennial. There you go. Listen to this millennial, too. Bring elegance back. <laughs> I think that's a song by Justin Timberlake. Is it? No, that's sexy. Oh, okay. We already have that one on lock. Come on. We're not bringing sexy back. It never left. What's on tap is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We've got a little balloon party coming up with T-Mac and Ajax here on 101 ESPN, and we hope you'll stick around for that. Tomorrow on the show, we're going to talk with Jay Delsing. If you have a question about your golf game for Jay, send us an email. You can do so at askuncleRandy at 101ESPN.com. AskUncleRandy at 101ESPN.com. Jay loves to answer your go- questions about your golf swing or equipment or whatever. And we're also going to talk, as we do every Friday morning, with Joe Vitale. Which I'm looking forward to. Yeah. I ran into Joe Vitale in the press box this week when I was at the Blues and Bruins game. And um, he told me that a lot of people come up to him and make comments about his visits with us because they tend to go off the rails. Well, I hope he has fun because he does. He does. We, we do have fun with it. And so we're looking forward to that. Our thanks today to John Kelly and to JR, both joined us from the West Coast. And actually, Greg Amzinger had to start a little early. And you can hear Greg Amzinger on the podcast brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, where he says that, no, it's not too early to figure that uh, Nolan Arenado is going to be the uh, National League's most valuable player. Michelle, we got a little over a week left in April. Why don't we just name the MVP of the National League at the end of April? Nolan Arenado? Yeah. Done. Okay, he's he's the guy. Well, you know what, Randy? We could have asked Greg Amzinger that on opening day, and he would say it's not too early. He loves Nolan Arenado. That's his favorite player. True. Good point. Yeah. Great job today by our producer and engineer, the one, the only, Matthew Rocchio. Pleasure. Michelle, we'll do this again tomorrow, and you know what it'll be. Friday. 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 Yeah, it will. You'll hear that at the beginning of the show. For all of us, until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Shop Quiz. What can you buy for $3.99? Not a latte, but for less than the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get all your favorite music ad-free. While other streaming services jack up their prices, Live One's membership is only $3.99 per month, and you can lock in that price for a full year. Join now to get the best deal in music with zero ads, unlimited skips, and maximum audio quality. Get the music you love at a price that fits into your budget with Live One Plus. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. When we say Washington, we know what you think. Politics, paperwork, power lunches. But you haven't experienced D.C. We're the capital of these United States and proud of it. We're the city with more museums per square mile than any place in the country. We're the place where important decisions are made, like which Michelin-starred restaurant to try first. And where are we going next? But this city is no postcard. We're the capital of food, art, music, and more. You know Washington. Now experience D.C. Visit Washington.org to plan your trip today. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.